Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello and welcome to Book Cheat, the book club podcast where I've read the book so you don't have to. My name is Dave Warnicky and on each episode of this show we look at one of the classics and joining me to look at such a classic this week, I'm going to say it, they're classic guests. <gasps> it's Matt Stewart and Jackson Bailey. Oh my God. Oh my God. Classic guests. Classic guests. That, that's so good because I know for a fact that I'm um, I'm a late call up because Michelle Brazier couldn't be here, but still that's fine. <laughs> You're, my go-to late the call up. You're my go-to late call up. <laughs> I know I've, I've big shoes to fill. I don't know who I'm replacing or if I was <laughs> an initial get to. It's hard to tell. No, uh, cards on the table. I'm pretty disorganized in this country. And, uh, and uh, I appreciate you both saying yes. Thank you so much. Hey, anytime. Because this, honestly, we're on the home stretch of the year. Yeah. This is the final book cheat of the year. Oh, my God. So exciting to be on the Christmas special. That's yeah. right. It is. It, it is the, it's the annual Christmas special. Oh, my God. Happy holidays. I've been on a few of these in the past. It was like a Poirot Christmas. Yeah, that's right. You oh, yeah. and Evan. And then you've also been on... One, uh, The Christmas Carol. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We've so done. Good. And last year I did a, a James Bond novel <laughs> on Her Majesty's Secret Service, which is technically set around Christmas. Okay, it counts. Is, is today's novel set around Christmas? Uh, technically, yes. <laughs> All right. We're technically. In. Te- yeah. hey, I'll take I don't it. know. <laughs> is it set around Christmas? <laughs> technically. Well, I think that's a yes or no. Yeah. Honestly, There's no as, loopholes as, on that. As the years go by, the links to Christmas get less and less oh, obvious. Yeah. <laughs> Are you saying it's technically yes because you believe that uh, because uh, when the shepherds were with their lambs, that wouldn't happen in December uh, around Bethlehem. Uh, that actually suggests it was springtime, and this does That's occur. It's a biblical Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> so it's set on the biblical Christmas. But if it is set around December, I will obviously reverse my my, <laughs> my preaching there and go back to the, the classic story. Okay, fair enough. I've got a month for every Christmas. <laughs> no, this week we are talking about get ready for the Christmas special. <laughs> Slaughterhouse-Five oh by Kurt God. Vonnegut. Whoa. Have you read this one? Yeah, it's Whoa. one of the few books I've read. That's <laughs> awesome. I felt like, so I messaged Jackson and said, uh, can yeah. you do the show? Fantastic, yes. And then you asked, what's the book? And yeah. I said this, and I said, it feels like a real Jackson B. Bailey Yeah, special. yeah. I I've thought not, you'd be I've, all over no, it. No, I've not no. read it. I've actually never read any Vonnegut in my life. But I should. Did feel like it was going to be confession. I've never read any books in my life. <laughs> I'm going. illiterate, guys. <laughs> I look at that. I just, I'm making very educated guesses every time I read. And I knew, Matt, that, that one of the Vonnegut's was one that you've, you say, I've read that book. Yeah, I've, I've, I think I've read three of his. Well, there you go. They're, um, it's, I, and I say read because I've, I've hardly read a book. <laughs> I say read, but. I, I reckon like, in the five years I've hardly read, like I've listened to a lot of books. Oh, yeah. That counts. It counts. Do you know but they're people one of the ask, few that I've physically read. Yeah. Recently. People ask, do audiobooks count? And I say, of course they okay, do. Why would they not? The, a few weeks ago, I was speaking to my mum, who's a, a retired librarian, voracious reader. Yeah. And now she said And to a me, vivacious woman. <laughs> 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 Your word's not mine, good sir. And 
the other day she was saying, I said, oh, what have you been reading lately? And she goes, well, I'm not sure. Does it count if I've uh, been reading it on an, an e-book on an iPad? <laughs> That's how classic she yeah. is. She goes, it doesn't count. Have you started on paper? Yeah, yeah. It's not the same. I'm like, yes, mum, of course it counts. I'd certainly be counting that. Yeah, if that- you get the story in, it counts. <laughs> exactly. She's reading like four of these books a week on her iPad. She's like, but I haven't really read a book in a while. <laughs> mum, come on. That's, That's a book. It's a book. I've started reading a, a book. Cause you, do you, are you still asking people if they're reading anything at the moment? Yeah, I will right now. Uh, Matthew? Um, <laughs> uh, I got given for my birthday a, a Billy Connolly um, biography title. Oh, yeah. It's called Rambling Man. Oh, right. Self-penned or? Self-penned. Autobiographical. Mm. Yeah. And it's just about him, uh, you know, as a as a rambler. As yeah, a wanderer. he's he is right. a rambler. He's and a traveler. It would be funny if someone had actually, now I think about it, written an, uh, a biography about a man who's famously one of the, the funniest storytellers <laughs> yeah. about his own life. And yeah. then someone's like, I'll write the book about yeah. this guy. I so I, of I course it is. His own, yeah. <laughs> uh, no, I've only just started, but I'm enjoying it so far. And I'm also, I'm, as always, listening to books. Uh, I've been listening to David Mitchell's Unruly, which is like a condensed history of the kings and queens of, of England. Oh, that's cool. Which I, I've just been, I've been hanging out for s- someone to just, push it down into like a 10 hour <laughs> yeah. bite size thing because I'm like I'd love to know about all yeah of absolutely but I can't be me to do it. I said, it's not a book man <laughs> <laughs> so yeah um, oh that's really really cool and with Billy I've got to ask you reading his book are you imagining it in yeah, fantastic voice surely is that what's going be. through your head uh, to be sure <laughs> <laughs> no I uh, yes do you do that do you read I can't I can't do Scottish accent but but maybe, maybe you I could imagine, imagine your head yeah. can you do a Scottish accent yeah yeah I think so I sometimes Sometimes if I'm reading, this only happens very rarely, but I'll start, and it's annoying, I'll start reading in the voices of people I know. Oh, that's fine. <laughs> Where I'll be like, oh no, I'm reading this like Joel Doucher is reading it to me. <laughs> and then I got to put the book down for a bit because I don't want him reading me that story. <laughs> the narrator is played by Joel <laughs> Doucher. What happened? And it's like hardcore romance novel. <laughs> yeah. like, this is some, I don't know if this I need this from JD. <laughs> yeah. Or it's too maybe it's all, maybe, yeah. it's, maybe it's too much. It's overwhelming. <laughs> yeah. And Doucher's voice or otherwise, Jackson, have you been reading any books lately? Yeah, I, uh, I recently finished The Big Sleep uh, by oh, Ray. Right. Chandler, which was a, a lot of fun. Uh, and uh, another great book called After Dark by an author called Marumaki, I think his name is, who was like a, a, a he, Japanese guy, ran a bunch of jazz bars in, in I think, in Tokyo. And then at like 29 was like, I'm going to write books. And so he writes these kind of very weird sort of poetic noirs that are great. And then at the moment, I'm reading a collection of uh, uh, who wrote Haunting of Hill House? Shirley Jackson, oh, a collection yes. of Shirley Jackson's short stories. Which I'm the lottery, but nothing else. Yeah, on this show, they're yeah. great. Uh, Shirley Jackson, she writes a good short story. Tell I'll, you what, I like how your um your the books you've been reading. Yeah, are sort of like I would say in the in the genre of pretentious uni <laughs> yeah, student, yeah, and mine are of, of the genre of. Boomer dad. <laughs> well, so and, what, what about, I, don't, I just real like uh, the yeah. kings of England. My next one will be a World War Two book for sure. Actually, that's well, what I've been reading. Yeah. <laughs> that's so funny. It's a real like dad and his kid going on holiday together. What books are they going to yeah, bring? Yeah. Situation. Oh, that's yeah, so funny. We covered both types of books. Dad novel pretentious. Yeah. Fantastic. And here I am. I've read Slaughterhouse-Five by Kurt Vonnegut. I think it's somewhere in the middle. Yeah, yeah, yeah I agree. A bit, of, bit of each. Yeah. Some, you know, some sort of pretense and also yeah. some sort of World War II. Fantastic. <laughs> now, people suggest I do these books, and I was blown away 
to see how many people have suggested I do this book. It could be a record. Whoa. It could be. I think 1984 was the previous most commonly requested. Tick that off. And now Slaughterhouse-Five, 32 people have suggested Whoa. this one, which is a lot. I'm going to quickly say thank you to them now because I always do this and usually it takes about, you know, 15 seconds. Yeah. If you want people at home, you can skip ahead. <laughs> I'm about to read some names. But these people deserve it. They yeah. deserve it. Uh, thank you to uh, Kieran from Perth, first of all, who was – it's actually the second ever suggestion I received over five years ago. Whoa. Number one was the streetcar named Desire, so I, which I have also done. So I'm slowly ticking these off. But thank <laughs> you, Kieran. Five years later, here I am. Uh, Lewis Faustone from Sheffield. Joel Lincoln from Nebraska. Kay from Sydney. Brian Davison from Calgary. Hunter from somewhere in Australia. Mimi from Canada. Thierry from Sydney. Tyson Graham from Colac. Hannah Jackson from Brighton in the UK. Jamie Rushuk from Sacramento. Kevin Packrad from Wingdale. Emily Byersdorf from Kingsport, Tennessee. Megan Rife from Phoenixville, Pennsylvania. Stephen Murray from Brunswick. Anne Delgard from Denmark. Kelvin Parker from Royal Oak, Michigan. Tom Owen from Leeds. Eli Fisher from Houston. Darcy Williamson from Vancouver. Chuck Draxler from Glenwood Holy City, Wisconsin. Whoa. Man, that's a good name. Tom DeWilton Holmes from Norwich. Aha. <laughs> Zach Lewin, Llewellyn Hewinville from Tasmania. Paulo Costa. From Portugal, Victor from Texas, Gavin Vaughan from Binghampton, New York, Morgan Hankel from Melbourne, Art Butcher, which is also what some people call me on this podcast, <laughs> from Nanaimo, JB from Long Island, New York, John, Joe Greenham from Edinburgh, Annabelle Martino from Ridgecrest, California, and finally, Brendan Gagan or Brendan Gagan from Albany, New York, who wrote, I have to read this book for AP literature. I would rather book cheat it. <laughs> Brendan submitted three books at the same time in 2019. I can only assume it was the entire syllabus. Did I make it in time, Brendan? Are you still studying? Oh, no. Was oh, that four, no. five years ago? Yeah. Oh, no. Brendan. Brendan. Sorry, Brendan. He oh, failed. Yeah, because of you. I failed him and he failed the class. And it started, even though like school doesn't mean anything really yeah. to any school kids listening, but... It, just in this case, yeah, yeah. It, it was the first domino that, fell, <laughs> yeah. that his life fell apart. <laughs> Refreshing the podcast feed Come every on. day. Oh, my God. Come on, Dave, please. Because <laughs> bluffing your way through one book, okay, and, of course, yeah. three. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, Brenton. I mean, I did. Uh, I minored in literature at, at uni, and yeah. I did do that. I was thinking that in high school. I was like, man, I did full essays. I mean, it would have been high school essays, so they probably weren't huge. But on books I just hadn't read. Like I did Pride and Prejudice. I hadn't read Pride. What did I say? <laughs> was I just guessing? Yeah. Yes, there was some Pride and some Prejudice. I think that's a great title because that, that gives you a quite a bit okay, to go that's on. That's true. There's yeah. Pride and there's uh, tra- exactly. Prejudice. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, there's two types of people in this world. Those who are Pride, pride. and those who are Prejudice. I mean Proud. There you go. All right, start again. Yeah. There are two types. <laughs> but yeah. you're, you're, you're keeping it all in. Yeah. That's oh, all course. word count. Of course. That's, yeah, that's, that's the only thing that matters. Yeah. Yeah, yeah at the end they, the examiner counts the words and goes, oh, 3001, perfect. <laughs> nice. In summary. <laughs> so Slaughterhouse-Five, which you haven't read, Jackson. No. Matt has read it. Has it been a while, Matt? Uh, I think I've read it a couple of times. The oh, last time was maybe two years ago. So you, it's Whoa. pretty fresh? Yeah, I think so. But it was also nothing's fresh in my mind. <laughs> yeah, fresh for Matt Stewart. Yeah. Like uh, it was during lockdown times. Oh, yeah. You know, that's all pretty blurry. Oh, it's a blur, yeah. And the, the story jumps around a lot. 
Oh yeah! Oh my gosh! Oh my gosh! It jumps around, <laughs> and, it, and it it's non-linear. Also, he's got characters that uh, continue on f- through different books as well. So I'm, I've blurred them all together a little bit. Right. Well, is, uh, is Trout in this? What's his name? Kilgore Trout. Kilgore Trout. Kilgore Trout. Great name. That's a great name. <laughs> he's. I think he's in, been in all the books of of his I've read. Maybe. Yeah, yeah, no, he's definitely a recurring character. Why am I? I don't need to remember. You're going to tell <laughs> Sorry, me. Sorry, well, Slaughterhouse 5. Well, I'm not here to be tested, am I? <laughs> yeah. You should do a test at the end. <laughs> yeah. As, just before you got here, Dave, I was saying to Jackson how much I love doing podcasts like this because I don't have to think about yeah, it. And now all of a sudden I'm sweating. Yeah. <laughs> You're freaking. Okay, Slaughterhouse 5 or The Children's Crusade, A Duty Dance with Death. Whoa. It's the full title. Is a 1969 semi-autobiographical science fiction-infused anti-war novel, which is a lot of things put together there. A lot of prefixes. By American author Kurt Vonnegut, who was born in Indianapolis, Indiana in November 1922. He wrote for his school newspaper and enrolled in biochemistry at Cornell University, but left in 1943 to enlist in the U.S. Army. He was captured by the Germans during World War II and was one of the survivors of the firebombing of the city of Dresden, this part of his life, we will soon see, forms the setting for today's book. Well, there you go. But before that and after the war, he began writing short stories and published his first novel, Player Piano, in 1952. He continued to write throughout the 50s and 60s, building up a bit of a cult following, but it wasn't until this sixth novel, Slaughterhouse-Five, that he got his commercial and critical breakthrough. It became a massive seller and put Vonnegut on the map and made him into a celebrity. That's good. That's pretty cool. That's good stuff. Isn't that crazy you can write five novels before? (laughs) If I had two novels out and they weren't doing well, I'd be like, well, I guess it's not for me. (laughs) I'm not successful from the get-go, you know? (laughs) All right. Well, I'll try something else. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, but that's the story of my life. I'm not good at something straight away. Like tennis, no. Swimming, no. (laughs) Yeah. Podcasting tick. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, that one. Thank God. (laughs) Found my my niche. Or my niche, (laughs) as Americans would say. Uh, His career spanned 50 years and he published 14 novels all up, three short story collections, five plays, and five nonfiction works during his lifetime. And some. Some short stories kept coming out after he died. People were like, oh, I found this one, that kind of thing. He died in New York City in 2007, age 84. Slaughterhouse Five is still one of, if not his best-known novel. It appears on Time Magazine's list of 100 best English language novels since 1923. I think I've done 16 of them now. Wow. Whoa. So we're getting through right. them. Doing the whole Israel. That's right. <laughs> and you won't retire till you've knocked them all off. So right? 84 to go. <laughs> <laughs> okay. We always start with the opening line. And this is a pretty, it's a famous opening line. It starts with, all this happened, more or less. That's good. That's good stuff. That's good stuff. And he continued, that's the, the <clears throat> famous bit, but I, I like it all of it. It says, all this happened more or less. The war parts anyway are pretty much true. One guy I knew really was shot in Dresden for taking a teapot that wasn't his. Another guy I knew really did threaten to have his personal enemies killed by hired gunmen after the war. And so on. I've changed all the names. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> he loves and so on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, well, oh, you get it. <laughs> yada, yada, yada. <laughs> yeah, that's great. And it tells you everything you need to know. Yeah. Going in, sets you up. That's true, more or less. Don't lecture, worry about it. There was a lecture I had at uni who always used to uh, uh, trail off like that, but he would give one example. Like, you usually have a list. Yeah. You go, uh, et cetera, or so on. But he'd say, like, um, 
So, of course, um, Francois Truffaut is a, a famous French, uh, is famous French director, um, and so on. <laughs> so Wait, what? Like, what do you mean? We can <laughs> need so more from there. You got to form a pattern for you. Thing to <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's just sort of his get out of. Uh, how I haven't <laughs> finished this thought. Yeah, right? I'll move <laughs> on to the next one. That's exactly. so on. <laughs> Anyway, and we're off. The book opens with the writer Kurt Vonnegut addressing the reader directly about the book and the circumstances in which it was written. He explains that he has been back to Dresden in Germany, where he was a prisoner of war during the Second World War, and even visited the slaughterhouse that he was locked up in during the infamous bombing of the city, where most of Dresden was burned down. When the war finished, he figured he'd be able to easily write a book about his wartime experiences. You know, write what you you know. Write what you know, yeah, absolutely. It's this big epic event, but 23 years later, he still hasn't written anything or hasn't published anything. okay. He thought he'd be able to write an epic novel about the huge event, but for decades he struggled to really capture it, despite telling everyone for years that he was working on a book about Dresden. So we were talking before the show started about what you say to the the Uber driver and they say, what do you do? What do you do for work? He would be like, I'm writing a book about Tristan. <laughs> for 25 he's years. He's told everyone this for years. Well, if he's like us, he won't be saying that. No. <laughs> yeah, what are you doing? I mean, I sell, I work at Rebel Sport. <laughs> <laughs> and then they quiz you, okay, what's your favourite type of ball? <laughs> oh, no, that, I'm cracking <laughs> yeah, on yeah, that yeah, pressure. Yeah, come on. <laughs> Hockey? Oh, <laughs> that's a puck. Get out. <laughs> Someone once asked him if the book was anti-war, which he responded, I guess so. <laughs> and the person quipped that he should write a book that's anti-glacier instead. There's nothing stopping glaciers and war is similarly inevitable. <laughs> what, a, what a quip. So they, they set him up for their big <laughs> yeah, yeah. zinger. Their big glacier-based so Wait, is this anti-war? Yeah, yeah, whatever. You should make yeah. it up. Well. You, you, should actually make, you should actually make it anti-glacier. <laughs> yeah, which is great because he said, I guess it's so non-committed. Like, yeah, I guess. Well, I gotcha. <laughs> yeah. But also it's funny because you need the follow-up so that you can explain that the glacier is war. You should make yeah. an anti-glacier. <laughs> if he said nothing, you'd look like the biggest idiot <laughs> in the world. But finally, I think finishing that made you look even more stupid. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Oh my God. So for research on this famous Dresden book that he's writing, the author reached out to an old war buddy named Bernard V. O'Hare and asked if he could visit him to see what they could remember about the war. Bernard O'Hare didn't remember much, but when he was there, the author felt that O'Hare's wife, Mary O'Hare, was unhappy to host the writer. Mary O'Hare, like Mary Mario. O'Hare. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh my God, hang on. It was funny because I'm like, I like how that sounds, yeah, but I didn't like realise why. Mario. <laughs> Mario O'Hare. <laughs> So he, he's like, he's hanging out with this this guy, Bernard. His it's wife. It's me, Mario. Mario. <laughs> oh, sorry, Dave. You can go on. Mario Brothers. It's funny. Well, I think we should spend more time with this, Dave, but if you want to keep going. I think we should write a book that's anti Mario. Yeah, that's true. I think that's smart. I mean, you know, Mario's just as inevitable as war. <laughs> Wario. He's the glacier of men. Wario. Oh, my God. Whoa. Your book's anti Wario. Maybe it should be anti Mario. That's almost something. <laughs> So he's, there, he's he's hanging out with Bernard in the kitchen and they're they're having a couple of drinks. They're they're, you know, chin wagging about the war, but he can't work out why Mary's not super happy to have him there. He sees him he's like, I'm a I was a pretty harmless, friendly guy with a family. I brought my daughter down to play with their kids. Like I am hardly like this bad, mm. hard drinking influence. So he's like trying to work out why Mary's not happy to have him. And eventually Mary breaks down and and said to him, You were just babies in the war, like the ones upstairs. 
You'll pretend you were men instead of babies and you'll be played in the movies by Frank Sinatra and John Wayne or some of those other glamorous, war-loving, dirty old men. Cop that. Yeah, and war will look just wonderful, so you will have a lot more of them and they'll be fought by babies just like the babies upstairs. And the author's like, huh, <laughs> we were babies. But he says, look, I'll probably never finish it, but... If I do, I promise it won't have any characters for John Wayne or Sinatra to play. And he pledged to call it the Children's Crusade. Ah, uh, there you go. Like and the title. It's just like the title, which I get uh, it. he kind of did as the full title and no one really uses his sort of Bible, the Children's Crusade. But uh, Mary, he said Mary liked him after that. And at the beginning of the novel, Vonnegut actually dedicates the book to Mary and to another guy called Gerhard Mueller, a taxi driver that he and his friend Bernard met when they visited Dresden when they went back in the 60s. Now, usually the last episode of the year, as we've discussed, is a Christmas special. Yeah. And this year is no less. <laughs> in fact, on page one of this book, we are told that Gerhard Mueller, the taxi driver who the book is dedicated to, sent a Christmas card <gasps> to O'Hare saying, I wish you and your family also as to your friend, Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. And I hope that we'll meet again in a world of peace and freedom in the taxi cab if the accident will Okay. This is wow. my favorite Christmas book. Yes, yeah, exactly. me too. It's Christmas. Me too. Merry Christmas. And the word Christmas appears not once, not twice, not three, but four, but five times okay. in the text. Whoa. And if that's not okay. a Christmas novel, yeah. I don't know what it is. Personally, I think, Vonnegut, you're laying it on a bit thick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's really, up. Foot off the paddle, man. It really is because the quote at the start of the book, you know how often they'll have like a bit of poetry. Yeah. They're like something from Tennyson or something. The the quote at the start of the book on before the title page is from the, the Christmas Carol. Away in a manger. Oh, okay. wow. Come it on. Says, Come on. It just says, the cattle are <laughs> lowing, much. the baby awakes, but the little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. So Merry Christmas, everyone. <laughs> Merry this Christmas. This is the Christmas yeah. One and all. Yeah. <laughs> that, was, that wasn't even one of the five Christmases in that. That's true. That was exactly. just another Christmas reference. Yeah. That, was, that was an implied Christmas. <laughs> the first Christmas. The th- yeah. yeah. I didn't even have a word for it. The yet. least jolly and festive <laughs> yeah. Christmas, really. Which you believe to have happened in springtime. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, here, we're going to get technical. Okay. <laughs> so, Merry Christmas. The author writes how he taught... After after going to Dresden, he went back there. Still no book came out. So he, he, he taught in the famous writer's workshop at the University of Iowa for a couple of years. Still no book. Then he got a three-book deal from a guy called Sam and declared that his first in the series would be the famous Dresden book. Okay. Well, he's been promising he's to probably, write it for a like, long time. Okay, Sam, I'm going to finally do it. And he writes, this is in chapter one still, I say to Sam now, Sam, here's the book. <laughs> it's so short. And jumbled and jangled, Sam jangled, almost jingled. Oh, that's another Christmas. Oh my God, that's good. We can count that. We yeah. can count that. That's seven. That's seven. <laughs> he says, it's just so short and jumbled and jangled, Sam, because there is nothing intelligent to say about a massacre. Everybody is supposed to be dead, to never say anything or want anything after again. That's so funny for Sam. It's like he's like Sam. Here's the book. It sucks. You couldn't write about war. Sam's like, well, <laughs> I guess. Don't tell. That's no. You said you were going to write it. I'm the writer. I'm the, I'm, the, I'm, the, I'm the the you know the publisher here. I don't need to write. It's really sort of just bringing the expectations down. It really levels. This is how I'd write a book as well. Man, I tell you what, I suck. This sucks. If it's any better than that, geez, that's a win. That's how you start your stand-up hours. Hey, this is not going to be good. Yeah, you're not going to enjoy this. But But here it is. Here we go. Anyway, he continues, everything is supposed to be very quiet after a massacre, and it always is, except for the birds. And what do the birds say? 
all there is to say about a massacre. Things like pooty wheat. <laughs> <laughs> that's got to be the least, like, that's not what a bird sounds like. <laughs> he was, like, when when did Tweet Tweet and that yeah. Chirp Chirp, when did those Did come he in? not but have access to that? They, yeah. Maybe Chirp Chirp and Tweet Tweet are modern things. Yeah, they invented, yeah. Okay. Maybe he was trying to get his one up. Yeah. 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 <laughs> trying to We're get trying it to get into the lexicon. Well, was that Tangs? Pooty Wheat. Pooty Wheat. Stop trying to get Pooty Wheat to happen. <laughs> <laughs> it's not going to happen. <laughs> anyway. Chapter one ends with, I finished my war book now. The next one I write is going to be fun. This one is a failure, and it had to be, since it was written by a pillar of salt, referencing the biblical story of Lot's wife who turned to a pillar of salt after looking back as she fled the city of Sodom. So he's looked back. Mm. He's turned to a pillar of salt. The author continues, it begins like this. Listen, Billy Pilgrim has come unstuck in time. It ends like this. Pooty wheat. <laughs> so we've already been told the first and last line there. Yeah. That's cool, though. That's I like cool. that. I mean, pooty weed again. Yeah. It's not, I don't think it's the ideal Hang, bird sound. Jackson, can I just ask mm-hmm. though, is pooty weed the sound that a turtle dove makes? Oh, it could be. Or two turtle doves, <laughs> perhaps. Oh, okay. Maybe one says pooty th- and the other says wheat. I'm counting that as a Christmas reference. Pooty weed? <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that counts. Yes. We're at eight. Okay. <laughs> pooty weed? You can imagine the turtle dove making yeah. that. Pooty weed? That sounds like a laptop being turned on. (laughs) 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 And the opposite turned off. (laughs) Oh, wait, the opposite would be. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so chapter two does in fact open with, listen, Billy Pilgrim has come unstuck in time. And then it continues. Billy has gone to sleep a senile widower and awakened on his wedding day. He has walked through a door in 1955 and come out another one in 1941. He has gone back through that door to find himself in 1963. He has seen his birth and death many times, he says, and pays random visits to all the events in between. The novel has started and we are introduced to Billy Pilgrim, our main character. Now, there's a lot of time travel, a lot of jumping around in this Mm -hmm. book, so I'm going to try my best to make it make sense. Okay. But also give you a bit of the, the sense of the time travel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Could have easily just told it in order. <laughs> but that, would, that wouldn't be what we've got here. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I hope it makes sense. I'm sure it will. And we, we, we uh, at the start, we meet Billy Pilgrim. We get an overview of the major events of his life. He was born in 1922 in Ilium, New York, described as a funny-looking child who became a funny-looking youth, tall and weak, and shaped like a bottle of Coca-Cola. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. That's a beautiful figure. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. We're doing that classic glass yeah. bottle? Not Ooh. an hourglass, but a kind of glass. Hubba, hubba. He started to be an optometrist before being drafted in the Second World War, before being honorably discharged in 1945. He married the daughter of the founder of the optometry school and then had a mild nervous collapse but he recovered and became very successful and very rich in the optometry game. He had two children, Barbara, who also married an optometrist when she grew up, and Robert, who was an alcoholic troublemaker in high school, but later joined the Green Berets when he went on the straight and narrow and served in Vietnam. In 1968, when flying with a group of optometrists to a convention, the plane crashed and everyone on board died except Billy and the co-pilot. Billy suffered a head injury. And whilst recovering, his wife died of accidental carbon monoxide poisoning. (laughs) It's grim. It's a lot happening to poor Billy Pilgrim. He went home to recover with a large scar across his forehead. The book writes, And then, without any warning, Billy went to New York City and got on an all-night radio program devoted to talk. He told about having come unstuck in time. He said, too, that he had been kidnapped by a flying saucer in 1967. The saucer was from the planet Trelfamador, he said. 
He was taken to Tralfamador, where he was displayed naked in a zoo, he said. He was mated there with a former Earthling movie star named Montana Wildhack. <laughs> and this is kind of the plot of the novel laid out before us. Yeah, okay. We sort of get the, the greatest hits of his life. Before you get Before you read about starts. the greatest yeah. that's I like that. Also, thinking if they if aliens abducted me and they were like, we're putting you in a zoo naked, I would be like, if you want it to be like, I wear clothes. <laughs> you know what I yes. mean? Like, if you're trying to display the human being in its typical setting, give me pants. Like, imagine if we put a rhino in an enclosure and put pants on. <laughs> yeah, that's what basically <laughs> would be the doing. same thing. Yeah. It would be. <laughs> the rhino would be like. What is this shit? I'm going to be uncomfortable. <laughs> I think it would be awesome to open a zoo where the gimmick is that every animal has <laughs> every a animal pair of jeans on or something. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a jeans even, zoo. Even the fish have jeans. Yeah, we put jeans on every animal for your pleasure. It's like a denim zoo. <laughs> yeah, welcome, <laughs> welcome to the denim zoo. Custom made orangutan jeans. I think that's fantastic. I'm in. Yeah. It's an investor already. That's great. <laughs> I think yeah, you want you'd want to have a nice climate control in that. Zoo. Yeah, that's very true. Yeah, because what it, environment would you pick? Like yeah, the optimum naked temperature. Mm, oh be, yeah, I see what you it'd mean. It'd have yeah. to be pretty warm, right? Yeah, you'd want it to be maybe you know, almost tropical. Would you? Yeah, would, but then it'd be sweaty in the oh, zoo. You don't want to be sweaty in the zoo. Not you in can't the zoo. That's <laughs> <laughs> embarrassing. Humiliating. <laughs> but you can't explain to them that you need to cool down. Would you want like a natural environment, like somewhere in the wilderness? Would you be like a house oh, yeah. with like a bed and chairs and stuff and a street? Maybe a yeah, little Safeway think- or something. Could I get both? Yeah, why not? Savannah, <laughs> like a 7-Eleven. Yeah, yeah. Little oasis. <laughs> yeah. Plus a podcast studio, of course. Yeah, well, of course. Gotta be if the they want to see me in the, the natural, natural habitat. Yeah. <laughs> Naked. Yeah. As you are. As I am right now. What do you think it would do, podcast? Let's say we did this episode completely naked. What boundaries <laughs> would that break down? Do you reckon the banter would be just like absolute peak I pinnacle? I think we'd have to do some A-B testing. So we'll finish... <laughs> This episode now with yeah. me naked and you two clothes. <laughs> yeah, and then we'll smart, switch. smart, smart. <laughs> and then we say, and then what do we do? We should maybe do it in sections, like half hour sections. And at the, yeah. the end, the audience say what the best bits were. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Uh, the best bits of the podcast. podcast <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah, it's good to clarify. <laughs> no judgment here. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it, it's non-linear. It jumps around, I have to say, very seamlessly. Uh, we jump back to the time period that we spend the most time at, and that is Billy Pilgrim during World War Two. He's been sent over to be a chaplain's assistant after the previous one had been killed. But when he arrives, his regiment is being destroyed by the Germans during the famous Battle of the Bulge. Oh, yeah. The book writes, Billy never even got to meet the chaplain he was supposed to assist, was never even issued a steel helmet and combat boots. So he's he's not dressed properly for war. Yeah. He's dazed. He sort of just wanders around behind enemy lines through the snow with no sense of direction. He's unarmed, not dressed properly. It's not great for Billy. Yeah, it sounds. Shoe, shoes are too big. Is that right? Was it, yeah, yeah. The whole thing about him wearing the wrong shoes. Ill-fitted and yeah. they're not boots either. Oh, yeah. no. Was he in dress shoes? Yeah, so just, <laughs> I well, think that's pretty cool. But what pretty would be close. the worst shoes, do you think, to wear behind enemy lines? Flip-flops. Yeah, thongs. it's got to be thongs. Thong? You'd, over like a, like a high heel type. Oh, oh no, stiletto yes. would be pretty bad. Stiletto would be much worse. <laughs> or like those big goth platforms. Yes, that you're trudging through snow. <laughs> but that might throw off the enemy with the aiming. They don't know. <laughs> you know they try to hit my heart. And you're looking like a, a baby giraffe stumbling around. Your you got a good shock and awe factor. Yeah. 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 They'd yeah. stay on your feet. Thongs, would, you'd be oh, unplugged yeah. almost instantly. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, that's very true. And the, your feet would be frozen. Yeah. yeah. So I don't know if, yeah, is it, is bare feet, but you can walk better or worse than what having your feet covered with these platform 
heels that you can't You're walk at least in. warm, but you'd be on your knees because you'd be falling off <laughs> yeah, yeah. all the time. But my tootsies are toasty. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And you'd be sinking into the... Yeah, that's true. You might be at the right height. At, at, like you're walking the, on the top of the yeah, snow. Right. Your head is like a periscope just <laughs> through the top of the snow. People are like, how's it going, Billy? We almost there? Uh, at the uh, Meredith Music Festival the other week, uh, it was real wet and muddy. Mm-hmm. So much so that at one point a guy just got bogged in his... <laughs> gumboots oh, no. and couldn't get no. out. What do you mean? He got stuck in the mud. <laughs> How do you... Did you have to throw him a rope? That's something that happens to a cartoon character. No, it was like quicksand. He stuck, he couldn't... He just couldn't get out. That's he was so in there for funny. ages. How long is ages? I died. I I think it was, you know, many minutes. Yeah, Matt. Matt he he might have been there overnight. He left him to die. <laughs> and was he taken in his stride or was he kind of stressed? Uh, no, I think, you know, he was... He was pretty the, funny. He was pretty easy. As the group gathered uh, to point yeah. and laugh. Yeah. I think everyone <laughs> yeah. found it pretty amusing. It would be quite stressful. I yeah, think. I think, you know, especially as people are laughing around. <laughs> yeah. Guys. Help me. I'm I'm suddenly where I'm here forever. <laughs> yeah. All right, we've had our fun. Someone throws a rope. So Billy's sort of taken in by three other American soldiers. We sort of just grouped with them because they're wandering around. Two of them are experienced scouts who are used to being behind enemy lines. Okay. Very cool, calm customers. And an 18-year-old bloodthirsty gunner named Roland Weary. Do you remember this guy, Matt? He's a, a bit of a psychopath who happily shows Billy his weapons of torture and sharp knives that he brought with himself to the war. Mm. Weary? It, anyone BYOing weapons? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's probably... That's a question mark on their yeah, character, I think. It's a little red flag, yeah. yeah. And he, what does he call... He says this knife... He calls it like a gut or something, and it's like a... It's triangular and has... Sort of three long, sharp bits. He's like, so basically, if you stab someone, you can't... Can't get it out easy? Well, you can't sew up the wound. Oh, like, yeah. If, and he's like, real proud of that. It's, it's real gross. <laughs> Weary yep. also fantasizes about being a war hero and that he and the other two scouts, he doesn't say this to them, but he, in his mind, calls themselves the Three Musketeers. <laughs> and he's like, we're soon going to get a medal for bravery. <laughs> but it's it's so good. It's Three Musketeers plus this other guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, don't leave. He's not one of the Musketeers. Yeah, he's no, sort no. of his own guy. Yeah. Really, Weary is a loner who his whole life has been ditched by others because he's so stupid and mean and, quote, smelled like bacon no matter how much he washed, <laughs> which is brutal. Whoa. But also, if you're hungry and, you know, you got a bacon-smelling guy. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if that's a, a pleasure or a torture in itself because you can smell bacon. <laughs> he sounded like the kind of guy you were talking about before, Jack. Yeah. Well, like just where you, because we were talking about, we were talking about how all of the online Manosphere guys are so, such clear losers. Like your Andrew Tate, your Ben Shapiro. They're, I don't know why we don't realize they're losers. But then we were saying Joe Rogan's got kind of, he's like dumb guy energy you know like he's one of the cool guys but he's dumb and everybody's like oh you're just stupid but you're one of the power you know that kind of vibe um yeah he's not he's not the same as shapiro yeah shapiro you i can't see him being like even on the fringe of the no I, shapiro's oh, cool. shapiro's the kind of guy that in high school he spends all of his time in the school library at lunch you know on the computer playing Flash games or yeah. something. <laughs> Whereas I'm picturing this guy all of a sudden as Joe Rogan. Yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah. Okay. If I found out Joe Rogan smelt like bacon, he's that what did it for you? The smell. <laughs> that was it. And it's and I know that you do have a lot of Shapiro fans listening. So yeah. I don't. Jackson's certainly not 
having a go. He oh, just thinks that he's a loser and you're a loser. <laughs> if you fun. like Ben Shapiro, I do think you are a That's loser. What obviously, I'm not having a go. I'm not saying that. <laughs> I think, well, I, you know, I'm going to reserve uh, what I think. I think everyone deserves their place. <laughs> but Jackson certainly thinks you are a loser. I do think you are a loser. That is true. And I think you're all Shapiro heroes. <laughs> I've got to pander to my audience. You know? Oh, fair enough. No, and your sense. audience is very much. <laughs> well, you just told me they are. They are, yeah. Oh, yeah. I think about 50% Shapiro fans. <laughs> and the other 50 uh, Andrew Tate. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That's oh, yeah. the big divide yeah. of the book cheat fan. <laughs> so this guy, this um, this bacon man, mm. has a real complex about being left because everyone always ditches him. He has had a pattern of making friends with a few people less popular than him. He finds them and then, quote, beating the shit out of them. Oh, Make himself feel like a man. Yeah, make himself feel like a big man. Uh, Billy is so out of it, the others have to push him out of the way when under fire and he doesn't keep up with them. And he keeps he keeps just sort of muttering, like, oh, just leave me, just leave me. It was during this time that Billy first came unstuck in time, first visiting his death and then birth. Then he was terrified during some swimming lessons growing up, then visiting his mother in the nursing home where she asks, how did I get so old? Then he blinked and it was 1961 and he was at a New Year's Eve party being unfaithful to his wife for the first and only time. So he's just sort of jumping around. Flipping, yeah, jumping yeah. through the moments. Blinking, he's somewhere else. Then suddenly he's being shaken awake by the psycho weary during the war and he's back there. The two scouts who are experienced at being behind enemy lines decide to ditch Billy and Weary saying they're slowing them down and they leave them together in a creek bed. And Weary, the psycho who hates being ditched, yeah. loses it because he's been ditched again <laughs> by the people that he's like, but we're the three musketeers. We're, we're the guys. He even says it out loud at one stage. He goes, yeah, we're the three musketeers. And they're like, what? <laughs> <laughs> the book says he'd said it out loud for the first time. So embarrassing. <laughs> and now he's like, he blames Billy for the others leaving. He's like, they left because of you. What? What is this? Uh, part, this is Battle of the Bulge, right? Battle of the And Bulge. it's sort of like you do... You do you. Is that the idea? <laughs> if you want to go go ahead, you can go you ahead. You go ahead. No, I think the kind of thing is sort like of free to, reading time for yeah. war, yeah. <laughs> no, they're a unit together and they were smashed by the enemy. A lot of the men, the men on their side died and they sort of got split up into uh, these groups. Yeah. And now I think it's around Luxembourg area. Now they're sort of just wandering around with no orders because there's no senior officer anywhere. Mm, they're going, right. where is everyone else? And there's like these small groups of survivors. Gotcha. That's okay. what they're doing. Sort of just trying to survive. Yeah. But not knowing. No, no food, no water, nothing, no yeah. supplies. Battle of the Bulge. Battle it's, of the Bulge. It's so, it's so funny that what a, such a serious thing yeah, has become it's, like, you know, the, get, it'll be a Herald Sun headline for yeah, a weight yeah, loss yeah. program. Yeah, <laughs> yes, absolutely. So You're like, you can't, how are you using? <laughs> Do you know where this term comes yeah. from? Because I didn't. You know what this yeah. weight loss program up, makes me think of? <laughs> I, heard, I heard that term a lot and I always just assumed as a kid it was a weight loss yeah. related thing. So, and then you go, oh, no, a horrific. Yeah, a lot of people died. A lot of people. I feel like the biggest loser used that phrase heaps. <laughs> yes, back absolutely. In the day. A new se- season of the big. Ba- Biggest Loser launches. The Battle of the, the, Battle Bulge. Of the Bulge returns. Yeah. <laughs> the war's back on. And it's funny to describe being overweight or whatever as bulge. Yeah, I know. It's if not I hear bulge. bulge, I think of... I think of boners. Yeah, that's like a... <laughs> oh, you know, let's not split hairs here. Yeah. A bulge is a, a penis in pants. <laughs> <laughs> End of list. No, <laughs> nothing and so else on. is involved. <laughs> There's no etc. for this one. No. It's that's that's the article. So the Battle of the Bulge, then. 
Well, the Battle of the Bulge, if we referred to having an unwanted erection as the Battle of the Bulge, yeah, right. that's fair enough. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> stop, 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 stop. Get back down. You're in, in an embarrassing situation as a teenager. Yeah. Oh, no. The battle is the tuck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the tuck. It's it's not as effective as everybody thinks it is. <laughs> no. it's not, it seems like a genius solution when you're 15, but let Get me tell you. with that one. <laughs> I think maybe it lessens it. Yeah, that's true. It does. It's not that the tent goes away. I think I would be still... Something that was always a bit scary with the tuck is that you you are then putting your penis in a position where moving is going to rub against it. You know what I mean? Like the waistband of your jeans. You just, you're just you're stimulating it more. That's yeah, the real battle. The battle <laughs> That's the real on. battle. The ball. <laughs> the raging of the ball. <laughs> so they're in the they're in this sort of ditch, this creek bed. He's blaming Billy for those leaving and weary. Trademark style starts beating him up and he oh. resolves to kill Billy and he probably would have if not for the German soldiers who happen upon them. Bemused at looking down at two American soldiers <laughs> fighting each other, yeah. they capture them. And the Germans themselves are an absolute ragtag. This is towards the end of the war and Germany have lost so many soldiers. This is all that's left. They're inexperienced farmers with non-issue equipment. One of them is a 15-year-old boy wearing wooden clogs. Whoa. Which I think are up That's there a pretty with, bad shoe. Up there yeah. with clogs. <laughs> And he makes Weary, the psycho, swap shoes with him so he can have Weary's boots. And Weary is now wearing the wooden clogs. Okay. Clogging along. <laughs> Meanwhile, two gunshots are heard in the distance, which is, we're told, the sound of the two scouts that ditched the others being ambushed and shot. Oh. So they didn't get very far. <laughs> no, no. Now, a line that gets repeated every time someone or even something dies or someone's death is mentioned is... So it goes. Mm. For example, when the two scouts are killed, it says, they'd been discovered and shot from behind. Now they were dying in the snow, feeling nothing, turning the snow to the colour of raspberry sherbet. So it goes. And the refrain, so it goes, appears 106 times in the book. Whoa. So it's... Uh, I love so it goes. I like that. It. I yeah. like a, an arc word or, or, or whatever you called it. Is that? Would you call that a... Late motif? I'd, I'd call it an early motif. <laughs> personally, I think that's that's there pretty much straight off I'd the say bat. That's, that's an early, that's a mid, that's a late motif. This is the recurring. This is, this is through and through. This, I found it to be pretty powerful because in the book, it's it's largely about the war. So there are so many offhanded references to death, and it, you know, you get a bit numb. You're like, mm. oh, they get shot away, but you're like, yep, they died too. But that phrase really sort of makes it stick out. And I was thinking. Holy shit, a lot of people die. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. There's another one. It makes you like sort of in a way have a body count going. Yeah, well, yeah. Another one and another one. So And also how he's just, you know, he has to be become numb to it. Yeah. Mm. That's so it goes. So that's it goes. It. That's how one. it is. Yeah, I you, know. But like choice, to you, you go, oh, my God, it's mm. not. You, should, you shouldn't be numb to yeah, it. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. Another, another person dead. So Billy and Weary are marched across Germany with other captured soldiers Weary's feet begin to bleed and blister from the clogs that rub horribly mm. on his feet. He's in a lot of pain. Eventually, they're crammed into railway cars full of other soldiers. They're fed with food, passed through ventilators, and everyone shares and takes turns standing up and lying down to sleep, which is very nice. That's good of them. But no one wants to sleep next to Billy Pilgrim because he has night terrors and is violent in his sleep. Lashing out. Which is news to him. He's like, really? Hmm. Me? And they're like, yeah. You're yelling, brother. Yeah, yeah you killed a man last <laughs> yeah, night. You were crazy. So they he sleeps standing up, which is not, not nice. Like a cow. Yeah, <laughs> nice. <laughs> you were milling in your sleep. It was weird. <laughs> uh, for two days, the train doesn't move. 
A man who was homeless before the war keeps bragging about how he slept in worse conditions and he's like, this ain't so bad. He says that a few times. I've had worse. This ain't so bad. But on the third day, he dies in the train. So okay, it's, it well, is bad. It's very grim. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah. it's grim. If that guy's dying on the train and he's slept in way worse places <laughs> yeah. than this. You're like, oh, my God. <laughs> it's pretty bad. For him, he was like, what a way to go. <laughs> yeah. In, in luxury. Dying in luxury. Like <laughs> yeah. yeah. As his last words is, Puh. Happy to be going here. Yeah, oh my yeah. God, what an honor. A palace. Some of the other places have been. <laughs> can't tell you what. Finally, on Christmas Eve. Oh. There's one, of, there's one of the five. Okay, there's one of the five. We're not adding it to the tally. <laughs> yeah, no, we can't. Add, sorry. And it's not even It's not even technically Christmas. It's Christmas Eve. Christmas Eve counts. Still, that's I, right. I would, if I had a problem with a book, it's the name. I would call it Christmas House Five. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> What about Christmas Slaughter 5? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's, that's good. good. That's good. That's, that's good. good. Yeah. Still got a bit in there. <laughs> the children's Christmas. Anyway. Slaughterhouse Christmas. Slaughterhouse Santa. Santa House 5. Yeah. <laughs> what about the Santa's Christmas? Santa's Christmas. That would sell well. Yeah, yeah, that would be good. Yeah. <laughs> so the train starts moving finally on Christmas Eve, and Billy flashes forward to the day of his daughter's wedding. Hopefully, no one asks him for a favor. <laughs> when he's kidnapped by aliens, the Trelfamadorians. And let me tell you about these Trelfamadorians. Okay. They fly in a flying saucer nice. and are, quote, two feet high and green, shaped like a plunger. Whoa. With a hand atop the shaft and an eye in their palm. Trelfamadorians perceive in four dimensions, meaning they see time differently from humans. It's described like this. All moments, past, present and future, always have existed, always will exist. The Trelfamadorians can look at all the different moments just the way we can look at the stretch of the Rocky Mountains, for instance. They can see how permanent all moments are and they can look at any moment that interests them. It's just an illusion we have here on Earth that one moment follows another one, like beads on a string, and that once a moment is gone, it's gone forever. Like beads on a string. Just like beads on a string. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they all (laughs) self-destruct. But if you've forgotten to tie a knot in the bottom of the string. Yeah, they all slide off. Oh, crap. There goes another one. But you don't stop and tie a knot. You just keep putting the beads on (laughs) it. And when Billy asks why they've abducted him, they simply laugh at him for asking a stupid question. They're like, he goes, why me? They're like, why anyone? What are you, dumb? Why anyone? Why anything? Which is actually also mirrored in in the war. One of the soldiers speaks out and the German, one of the German soldiers like punches him across the face and knocks out two teeth. Yeah. And he goes, what the hell? Because he's like, oh, I didn't mean to be rude. Mm. He goes, why me? And then the the German replies in uh, English. And it's written, via you, via anyone. Mm, there you go. So, you know. Parallels. Parallels, absolutely. Picking that up. So even the phrase, so it goes, is what a Trelfamadorian says when one of them dies. To them, death is simply a part of each being's unchangeable destiny because they see all moments at once. Everyone who dies is still alive in another moment. Mm. But when they're alive, they're also dead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's cool. I like that. Yeah. I think that's, Yeah. That's good stuff. I like how the trial Famidorians go about it as well. <laughs> it's fun to hear this word out loud because I can't I can't remember how my brain was saying it, but I don't think it was this. <laughs> I mean, I also could be butchering it. It's, you know, to be honest, it's not a real word. <laughs> so there's other people at home being like, that's not how I said it. Each to their own. Each to their own. So it goes, dude. Exactly. So, so, it, so goes. it goes. And it's pronounced that way, but it's also pronounced another way. And it's always been pronounced this way and also my way. Exactly. And so it goes. Off the hook. So do, it goes. Do you think knowing the, like how you would die, how would that affect your life, do you reckon? If you you had that locked in, you could go visit it whenever you want. 
I reckon you'd change anything? I guess whatever, you can't. <laughs> yeah, that's what they, they say, you can't change anything. Yeah, so whatever. I guess if that was the only moment you could visit, that would be terrifying, but yeah. you can visit, visit all the other yeah, moments whatever. like they do. I just keep going back to the nice bits. Yeah, yeah, the yeah. good bits. And when you need to be grounded, you go to the death. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah oh, I'm yeah, that's get right. Get a bit cocky here. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Back on the now-moving boxcar, Roland Weary, who's the psycho, dies from the infection in his bloodied feet. Oh, they, you cut right. him up so Killed bad. Killed by clogs. Killed yeah. by clogs. <laughs> Killed by clogs. Clog death. <laughs> <laughs> For days before he was delirious, you know, with pain and, and infection, he's raving about the three musketeers and, and how he needs to avenge his death. He makes another young psychopathic soldier named Paul Lazaro, another 18-year-old, swear that he will kill the man responsible for his death, which he names as Billy Pilgrim. Oh, why is he blaming why Billy? Why is he blaming Billy? Not the Billy. Man. Yeah. He's like, we got, you know, I got ditched because of you, and then the Germans, you know, came and got us. Yeah, it's the shoes that killed you. Yeah, exactly. yeah. You gotta be like, there's a German out there wearing my shoes. Yeah, go get that guy. You can find that get guy. That fifteen year old. You got ditched because of you. Don't blame Billy for yeah, that. Yeah, right. and then he doesn't know, but they those guys immediately got shot. So he actually, you would have died prolonged anyway. his life. Yeah, and and his pain. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Billy Pilgrim's blamed. And this guy, Paul Lazaro, is like, all right, I swear to you, I'll take out Billy Pilgrim. Holding Weary's head as he dies is Edgar Derby, a 44-year-old English teacher from Indianapolis, one of the older soldiers. He also fought in the First World War and then wanted mm. to get back out there. He had to sort of pull a few strings to, to fight in the Second get back World War. In. Uh, he enlisted as his son did as well. Vonnegut tells us that his son would survive the war, but Derby wouldn't. In 68 days, Edgar Derby will be executed by a firing squad. Whoa. And basically every time this character's brought up, we're... We're reminded of the death. fact yeah. that he's going to... Yeah. That's right. It's inevitable. Almost Trelfamadorian <laughs> like. <laughs> Finally, after a 10-day journey, which is a long time to be trapped on the train, they were already oh, on there yeah. for a few days before it moved, the train finally arrives at a POW camp where all the soldiers are given overcoats from, de- from you know, dead Germans mm. to keep them warm. But Billy Pilgrim is given the tiniest coat actually intended for a civilian, not a soldier. And being six foot three, it rips and becomes a vest and it just looks ridiculous. (laughs) The German soldiers laugh at him because to them he is the funniest thing they've ever seen. (laughs) Which is... You uh, gave him the vest. (laughs) What are you talking about? German comedy of the 1940s wasn't (laughs) that good. (laughs) Big guy, little vest, laugh riot. After dinner, I might go and laugh at the guy in the vest. Funniest thing they've ever seen. That's <laughs> this tall guy in a vest. Oh my God. That vest you gotta get too- a load of this. <laughs> what is he thinking? <laughs> this guy. That's not going to keep him warm. Oh my God. Why'd he pick that one? Like, he didn't. He just gave him this. 
<laughs> what does he like, this guy? Things are going great, Fuhrer, down at the POW camp. If you're ever down. Yeah, it would be like handing him an, like an Austin Powers costume and when he puts it on, being like, why did he pick that? <laughs> this guy he thinks looks, he's Austin Powers. <laughs> yeah, baby. Shagadelic, huh? Huh? You would say that. <laughs> Standing there going, would I? I don't think you don't get... Th- what are you talking about? Oh, that's so funny. So Billy and the newly arrived POWs are housed with a group of 50 Englishmen who have already been in prison there for four years, but they've made the most of it, especially seeing as due to a clerical error at the start of the war, they were sent an extreme surplus of rations like 10 times what they should have, and they now live like kings. Oh, yeah. Albeit locked up kings. (laughs) They are very much a jolly good show type Englishmen and uh, are a bit disgusted at this ragtag group of Americans, especially this guy who looks so funny. (laughs) It is little vast. Are you kidding me? (laughs) Well, they try to welcome them with a feast, which proves to be too much as the rich food in their starving bodies mean they all get horrific diarrhea straight Mm. away. The book writes, an American near Billy wailed that he had excreted everything but his brains. Moments later, he said, there they go. There they go. (laughs) He meant his brains. That was I. That was me. That was the author of this book. (laughs) He's there reminding us. Yeah, remember, this actually happened. This was real. I was there. Yeah. He shut out his brain. Yeah, I yeah, shut, out shut my, brain. my brains out. And I'm putting that in the book. Yeah. <laughs> so if this is, this sucks, you know what? Yeah, yeah, Again, yeah, he's exactly. sort of lowering our expectations. Yeah. It's smart. This is written by a guy who shut his brains out. <laughs> the Brits also put on a full-scale production of Cinderella as entertainment for the troops. Billy laughs so uncontrollably that he has to be taken away and taken to a bed in a makeshift hospital hospital that the Englishmen have set up and he, he basically he just becomes so hysterical that they have to give him a shot of morphine to put him to sleep. It's a funny play. <laughs> Cinderella's funny dude. Yeah, funny. The rats make a, become horses. That's funny. That's funny in any language <laughs> and they would have been doing it in English. Yeah, exactly. oh, I'm familiar oh with. <laughs> he's, he's very much losing it so they're like alright give him, give him some morphine. Suddenly Billy travels forward as a flash forward to 1948 he is in a New York veterans hospital where he has voluntarily committed himself after a breakdown. This is after the war. Mm. In the bed next to Billy is a former inf- infantry captain called Elliot Rosewater, who, like Billy, is trying to come to grips with the horrors of the war. Billy survived Dresden and Rosewater. His trauma is he mistook a 14 year old fireman for a German soldier and shot him. Now he lives with that guilt. Rosewater introduces Billy to the books of science fiction writer. Kilgore Trout. Here Whoa, we go. here he is. <laughs> Who? He's trouble. Who likes it? Matt said he's a recurring character in Kurt Vonnegut's work. Rosewater has a big stash of Kilgore Trout books under his bed, and Billy starts reading them. And the book tells us that both men were, quote, trying to reinvent themselves and their universe. Science fiction was a big help. It's a real escape for these guys. Yeah. One of the books Rosewater is reading is The Gospel from Outer Space by Kilgore Trout. And we are told. It was about a visitor from outer space, shaped very much like a Trelfamadorian, by the way. Interesting. Oh. Okay. Okay. Oh, what's that about? Yeah, well, okay. Plunger Man. Yeah, Plunger Man, okay. <laughs> okay. All right. I mean, you know, maybe they... If they're, they're real. real book, they're, exactly, they're you know, real. They're a real okay. being, so... Exactly. Billy then time travels back again to Trelfamador, where he well, is actually in the future, where he's uh, put in a zoo in a geodesic dome where the locals watch him do mundane earth stuff like eating and washing dishes, trimming his toenails and putting on deodorant. 
It's kind of like Big Brother for Aliens or the plot of Space Jam. <laughs> That's only- the plot of Space Jam. Remember the 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 Looney Tune characters? They're they're imprisoned, and they say. They, oh, they say we beat you in a basketball game. Oh. I think it's, that's the plot. Isn't I it? think I so. Yeah. Long time. <laughs> so the, the aliens imprison them and put them in a zoo. Yeah. And then right. they're like, if we beat you in a basketball game, then right. Okay. Is, is I it, remember the basketball game. Is it? <laughs> is it like if we beat you in the basketball game, we get to we own your cartoons? But like we own the rights to. Yeah, is it they own the rights? I don't know. I don't. I don't. And then, and then the, the publishing rights. Thing? Yeah, I, I think it was. <laughs> They're paying for playing for pinks. Yeah, <laughs> like the Monstars can put on Looney Tunes cartoons now. <laughs> no, that can't be right. I thought they were putting them in a zoo. They must have been putting them in a zoo. Yeah, they, they had the rights to their to their lives. Their lives. Their, yeah, 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 yeah. Man, this is going to be frustrating for me because I forgot to talk about that other yeah. segment of your. <laughs> Listeners who are hardcore Space Jam fans, yeah, yeah, particularly Space Jam, yeah, yeah. that's true. They're going to be fuming, they're seething right and now, and particularly the Michael Jordan version, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Most of them hate the new one, the new one with Rick and Morty or whatever. When they've forgotten that, like usual, with yeah. these things they forgot that they're not kids now. <laughs> it's time to grow up. You can't be, st- you know. Sticking with Space Jam forever. Okay, this is what Swackhammer. <laughs> now I am Space Jam cheating this. Anyway, what a weird podcast. Swackhammer, played by Danny DeVito, is an evil alien theme park owner. Needs a new attraction at Moron Mountain. Okay, oh, that's good stuff. When his gang, the Nerdlucks, heads to Earth to kidnap Bugs Bunny and the Looney Tunes, Bugs challenges them to a basketball game to determine their fate. Okay, so that's what Billy should have done to the trail from the door. <laughs> oh, yeah. If I beat you in a game of pickup, I get to. I get. To, I'm free from the zoo. Yeah. If I lose, all right. I'll be in the zoo forever. But then all of a sudden, 1940s basketball or wherever it was. 1960s. Yeah. So you can name a few of those big basketballs from the 60s. They'd what? end up having to be. Yeah. They would, talking, they would they'd be, have their uh, abilities uh, stolen. Yeah, that's true. Maybe, uh, is it Jim G- West? Jerry West. Jerry West. Jerry He's the West. logo guy. The logo guy. <laughs> oh. Look him up. Starting in the 60s? Let's have a look. He, player 60, 1960 to 1974. There you go. Great one. Well done. You got one. I don't know. Who's Jim West? Is he the one? Who Jim West the is someone. Tuna? <laughs> yeah, he's is the tuna it, guy. Is he the tuna guy? I think Jim West's tuna. That's they the, should steal his powers. That's the fish that Jim West rejects. Yeah, that's that's that true. Makes Jim, Jim West, West the, best. Jim, the best. Jim West makes the tuna. Jim West. It's a good tuna, the Jim West. Yeah. It's a solid one. <laughs> solid you it's the, a solid tuna. You're thinking of the former Aussie Rules uh, footy player for Sydney Swans from 1990 to 1992. Maybe. I think we're thinking of the tuna guy. Yeah, who's the tuna guy? <laughs> or uh, Jim West, the Canadian guitarist, best known for working with Weird Al Yankovic. Oh, yeah, okay. that's what that, I'd be thinking. That's the guy. That's the guy. <laughs> that's our guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is he, well, is he one of the core band who's, who's portrayed in the film uh, Weird? Uh, we're going way off the beat track now. Do you want me to like plot cheat the Weird Al biography <laughs> as well? <laughs> and start describing movies that we kind of remember. <laughs> okay, so he's in there. He's he's on display uh, outside a guide lectures telepathically to the crowd because that's how trough Amadorians mm. communicate. It's also revealed to Billy how the earth, how the how the universe will end. A trough Amadorian conducting experience with a flying saucer and its fuel blows it up. Alarmed, Billy asks if there's anything they can do to stop it. And again, they laugh at him. They explain, like everything else, it's already happened and will always happen. So just accept it. That's so funny. It's so funny to know the guy that's going to blow. And like, you don't, you don't, you know, because whatever, you can go wherever. But you'd also be like, 
come on, man. Yeah. yeah. You know, and you're the guy. You'd be the guy knowing I'm that guy. Oh, damn it. Is I there any it. chance you can not do this? Yeah. 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 No. That's, Sorry, man. Sorry. That is a funny suggestion. <laughs> Almost as funny as a tall man in a vest. Yeah. <laughs> That's comedy. Let's That's, go to that moment. Let's yeah. go to that moment where he's going to have wear the little vest. Can we go there and you suggest that? That'll be the funniest thing that ever happens. <laughs> He falls asleep on the distant planet and awakes on his wedding night. Time travelled again, having just wed Valencia Marble. Her wedding ring is a giant diamond that Billy found in that terribly ill-fitting jacket he was wearing. Whoa. So at least some good came up and yeah. brought that home with him. His wife, Valencia, breaks down in happiness, saying she never thought anyone would marry her, and she tells him that she's going to get in shape for him. And he tells her that he likes her just the way she is, which is, that's lovely. Yeah. That's nice. Is she about to go through her own battle of the bullshit? <laughs> <laughs> that's what she said. That's what she says. Which is, he's like, but I like you. Nice. But then, quote, he had already seen a lot of their marriage, thanks to time travel. Knew that it was going to be at least bearable all the way. Oh. <laughs> Slightly less okay, romantic. That's a, uh, but at least bearable. Bearable. Right, that's I a mean, great floor. Yeah. What's oh, yeah. the ceiling? Yeah, Fantastic. Yeah, at, at least bearable <laughs> yeah. is. At In least, the worst moments, bearable. Yeah. Right. That's, Honestly, I think that's most relationships people have with just anyone. You're right. Every yeah. single person I know that I'm friends with, it's at least bearable. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. And but the bad ones that end, yeah, exactly. They, they are, get worse than bearable. Yeah, bearable. They get good. unbearable. Bearable's underrated. It coughs a lot of flack, but bearable's yeah. positive. I agree. She. It's not like she was glowing either. She's like, I never thought anyone would marry me. Not, <laughs> I love you, and I can't wait to be married yeah, to yeah. you. Yeah, it was like, like, like thank God, somebody I finally got someone. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I landed a fish. anyone. <laughs> yeah. Cutting back to Trail Famador, Billy is given a housemate at the zoo, a pornographic actress by the name of Montana Wildhack. Now, Billy doesn't make any moves on her, but after a week, she comes onto him and the two hook up. And the book writes, quote, he had a tremendous wang, incidentally. You never know he'll get one. <laughs> Love that. That's awesome. Yeah. It is true, though. I think when you find out, if you ever find out the sizes of the people you know's genitals, it is always a shock. Who's <laughs> back in here? <laughs> <laughs> you know, oh, because it's kind of, I don't know. I think you don't expect anybody to be massively well hung, you know? Well, you're in the room with one uh, <laughs> right now. Go, let's go back. Let's go back to the naked podcast. Okay. Pants <laughs> Dave, Dave Wankany. <laughs> <laughs> then Billy is back at the makeshift hospital during the war, having awoken from his morphine shot. Edgar Derby, the older man we keep hearing about about being killed by a firing squad is there having stayed overnight with Billy. He's a bit of a father for nice. the others, which is nice. Also there is Paul Lazaro, the young man who swore mm. to the psycho weary that he would avenge his death and kill Billy Pilgrim. Lazaro is also a stone cold psychopath and is in the hospital for a broken arm after getting into a fight and losing that fight with a British soldier. He swears revenge against him and also Billy Pilgrim. He says he'll get hired gunmen to take them out when they least expect it. Oh, oh and this is a true. This there was is one of the opening oh, that's says, right. Yeah, he brought this. I up. knew someone who did threaten to have people <laughs> killed after the war. He kept telling them, "Be like, one day, years from now, you'll have forgotten about it." And then someone will knock on your door and say, "Hi, are you Billy Pilgrim?" And you'll say yes. And then they'll say, "This one's from Paul Lazaro." <laughs> and then I'll get him to shoot your wang off. And you'll be like, "Hang on a second, Paul Lazaro, I remember that guy." And just as you remember, you'll put another couple of bullets in you. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> 
He's, is Billy Pilgrim scared of that though? Is Billy like, oh, brother, I'm going to see aliens in the future? Yeah. Like, I'm really well, not well, concerned. Billy, Billy knows that years from now, Paul Lazaro will make good on his threat. Whoa. Billy has seen his death many times and he's even recorded a prediction onto a tape recorder that he's locked away in a safety deposit box. It says, I, Billy Pilgrim, will die, have died, and always will die on February 13th, 1976. Wow. He claims that by 1976, the USA has been divided into 20 nations so that it will never again be a threat to world peace. And giving a talk in Chicago where he's become a very popular speaker on aliens and flying saucers, he speaks to a large crowd and tells them, I will die in one hour. He predicts that the man who swore to kill him 30 years earlier will shoot him in the head. But Billy is not afraid as like the Trelfomadorians, he will experience life again. So he, he, he dies. He's ready for it. Like a... A laser sight disappears on his Whoa. head and then he just gets shot. No, they don't take his wang off first. Yeah, no, no, he no. doesn't make good he in his did, promise. He lied. <laughs> he lied. <laughs> it's so big. I mean, <laughs> yeah, you'd think it'd be hard not to hit. Accidentally hits the wang. <laughs> Aiming for the head. Friendly fire on the wang. <laughs> <laughs> I was listening to, uh, to a cricket on the radio the mm. other day. And the guy talks about uh, two players, uh, no, how, yeah, one player hit his teammate, like, with the ball, and he oh, goes, yeah. unfriendly fire. And I'm like, no, that's, that what? is, that is, friendly, that is fire. friendly fire. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, unfriendly what, fire is just regular combat. Yeah. That's, yeah. <laughs> that's everyone else. Yeah. yeah. That is we, exactly. <laughs> like, but like, he's, like, making it sound like, that's unfriendly. That would have hurt. <laughs> but that friendly fire Friendly fire hurt. hurts too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Anyway, I had a chat to myself in the car about that. <laughs> uh, Before I let him, I was like, look, yeah. brother, he was having mate. fun. He's on live radio. Yeah. i got to let it go. <laughs> you didn't call in? <laughs> um, actually. What are put you, me through. stupid? Put me through. <laughs> this is ridiculous. <laughs> I'm like, man, I'm tedious. <laughs> I'm glad no one else is around to hear this. <laughs> I certainly will never relay this later. <laughs> But I'm so glad you did. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, dude, uh, that is normal yeah. friendly fire. <laughs> we got him. We, we got, got him. him. If we he's here in this. Yeah. yeah. He would feel so embarrassed right now. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Name and shame. <laughs> As a person who's never said something stupid. <laughs> no, 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 no. Now you know how they feel. <laughs> so Billy dies and then he flies back to 1945 where he sits with his eventual killer. But he's like, I guess nothing I can do about it. Mm. The American soldiers are told they're being moved to work as forced labour in the German city of Dresden. An English officer tells them that Dresden is open and undefended and contains no war industries or troop concentration, so it won't be the target of any bombing campaigns. They're like, you're going, this is a beautiful city. You'll be fine. This is a paradise. Mm. The Americans leave the compound behind with Edgar Derby, the man who will be shot, elected leader. Billy is there looking more ridiculous than ever. He has found that the shoes spray-painted silver for the Cinderella play fit him perfectly and they're better than his crappy shoes. So now he's getting around in these spray-painted silver shoes. Oh, my God, <laughs> and his tiny, his famous tiny vest. <laughs> well, he wears a blue curtain now like a toga. A blue toga. curtain? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> like that was also used in the production. I see. He's wearing that like a toga. He'd be looking like a wizard or yeah. something. <laughs> and he's got his tiny coat, which is disintegrated. He now wears it just wrapping up his hands. So he just wears that. Less and it's, funny. It's got a fur collar on it. So it looks like he's like wrapped his hands in this dead animal and repeatedly is described as re- resembling a clown. <laughs> <laughs> and they get to Dresden and it's the most beautiful city most of the Americans have ever seen. Most of them have only ever seen where they've, you yeah, know, where sure. they've lived. He, 
even Billy Pilgrim's only lived in one place. It has many old and beautiful buildings and is untouched by the war. Life runs as normal with streetcars and restaurants. And they're like, this is this place this is, is nice. Great. Is yeah. this seen as a like a, a a black spot on the Americans or whoever ends up bombing it? Like a black mark or whatever you say? Or as in like what am I trying to ask? Jackson, can you put this in uh, English? <laughs> like it's a, I like don't it, know. Like after the war, is it like I can't believe they blew that? Yeah, story. yeah. A lot uh, of people do it was say so beautiful. that. I see. What you but mean. then uh, and and the war was basically it, over. Um, yeah, and, yeah. But then others say no, it was needed that they needed to do that. Right. Okay. Or that they weren't aware that the war was as over as it was. Right. Right. But they. Yeah. I feel like had, you hear that argument quite a bit. Yeah. They're like, oh, we didn't know. Of, we had to keep you know yeah. f- foot on the throat type thing. We weren't mm. sure, so we kept we kept bombing until we knew it was over. That kind of thing, and that. And a lot of pe- not a lot of innocent people died, but you know it was necessary for the war. For and then the war, other people yeah. come in and say, "What? Oh, what no. the hell are oh you God, talking about? How can you justify that? Yeah. Have you forgotten what you were fighting for?" Yeah, yeah. 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 So it it is deba- debated, and to the point where I think after the war for a long time, and this is actually even referenced a lot in the book, in that it was kept secret from the American public that this incident happened, basically because they thought that you know everyday people would be like. Why the fuck do you do that? Yeah, right. yeah, and it would look yeah. bad. It would look like a so black they knew. Spot, as yeah. You say. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, but I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah you are okay. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you know, a spot on their record of you know they're, f- they're fight, f- fighting for, for yeah. peace and freedom, yeah. Yeah, like you're yeah. saying. So it was kept swept under the rug for a long time, which is and this book actually put Dresden on the map a lot. Oh, really? Because it wasn't that famous before this, and then this became this huge selling book. Yeah, yeah. Very anti-war and. People were like, oh, my oh, gosh. Oh, we did that? Yeah, and it became much more famous because this American writer wrote this right. best yeah, wow. novel in America. Yeah. Anyway, so they're there. They're, they're shown their new quarters, a one-story cement block designed to house pigs before they're butchered, and a guard tells them to memorise their new address in case they get lost. They're in uh, Schlachthof Funf, Slaughterhouse, Slaughterhouse 5. Slaughterhouse 5. The, the book name. The title comes from. That's right. Didn't Is you, it, like, before reading it, did you think... Like I did that it was going to be like you know the famous five or something. Yes, I agree. absolutely. Yeah. These yes. are the slaughterhouse yeah. five. Yes, I thought they were the five. The That's five a cool people. name. It is cool. It's a cool name. Absolutely. If, you know, for a group of five, you know, no good nicks. The slaughterhouse five. Yeah, I absolutely thought it was the yeah That's the famous five, the secret seven, yeah. the slaughterhouse five, <laughs> the hateful eight. Yeah, that kind of thing. <laughs> Honestly, that's. Purely what I would have thought. Yeah. There's a, a new Dis- Disney Christmas movie, The Naughty Nine. Oh my god. Oh, wow. What's the maximum number you can get up there? <laughs> the dirty dozen. Yeah, that's right. The M&M's hateful hundred. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> keep going. The can we do a thousand? The insane infinity. <laughs> Beat that. <laughs> yeah. The insane it, infinity hard. plus one. <laughs> <laughs> that's the sequel. Yeah, they're adding one guy. <laughs> yeah, it's like yeah, oh, the Oceans movies. They did that, didn't they? <laughs> yeah. yeah, added one each time. <laughs> We then cut to Billy on a plane 25 years later. He's there with his father-in-law, who's the you know wealthy optometrist, and nearly 30 other optometrists on their way to a convention in Montreal. And it says, quote, he knew he was going to crash, but he didn't want to make a fool of himself by saying so, which is exactly what I would oh, do. Oh, yeah, for sure. Well, because you know it's inevitable. Yeah. You're like, what, what's it going to achieve? Even if I didn't know it was inevitable and I was, if the engine, you know, I thought it was going down, I'm not going to say something <laughs> to the pilot. That's their job. Yeah. I don't want to embarrass And myself. also, like, what if you're wrong? Like, exactly. you see smoke coming Which, out of it and you're you, like, oh, is that meant to happen? And they're like, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I, I feel like that would be one in a hundred that you'd be right. Yeah, absolutely. And they go, oh, thank you so much. That actually, <laughs> yeah. most of the time them. you'd be. They'd be like, so you don't know how to fly a plane. Yeah. yeah. Earlier in the year I was on a plane 
and it started filling up with, you know how sometimes as it's about to take off, they start pumping in cold air yeah. or whatever it is. And sometimes you can see like vapor, like condensation mm. sort of flying up. Yeah, Do you know yeah. what I'm talking about? Up the windows a little bit. Yeah, yeah. And then it dis- I'm normally watching a movie. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, you would have noticed this time because it usually dissipates pretty quickly. This filled the entire cabin with a smoke-like what the appearance. Hell? People started filming it and I was sitting there thinking, is this normal? I mean, if it was smoke, I'd be struggling to breathe, right? Yeah. yeah but I was yeah. sitting there. Th- I'm not going to say anything. I'm not. too embarrassed. <laughs> but I was like, oh, we might die on the time back here, but that's yeah. all right. Yeah, yeah. It's also funny to think that because everyone's singing that same thing. Yes. Yeah, no, no one, one says, says anything. anything. Yeah. Like, why would I? I'm, I'm not going to be the one. guy. Yeah, someone else knows. You kind of want to be like, somebody should say something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> obviously, they would have noticed. Yeah. Saying, obviously How could they, they not? The, the Yeah, the hosts are the hosts. They'll figure it out. Yeah. It's like if you hear a grinding noise when you're taking off, you're like, I'm sure that's just yeah, planes, sure dude. Yeah. I like to keep a, an eye on uh, the stewards' faces because I yeah. figure they've mm. taken off hundreds of times. If they start looking worried, that's yeah. when I start feeling a little bit worried. Yeah. And it's also when you're on the tarmac and you're like, if we crash now, it's fine. Because we're on the tarmac. Yeah. The lens, this is and the then lens. you start to take off a little exactly. bit and you're like, oh, even now would it's be fine. okay. I mean, yeah, no one's ever taken during a takeoff or landing. No one's ever crashed during that time before. It's famously the safest part of the trip. Yeah, yeah that's what they say. <laughs> so, Wait, hang on. Not insane infinity, infamous infinity. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That's yeah. great. That's good stuff. Yeah. That's really good. <laughs> Don't want to leave that out there. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, people in the car, yeah. like you, with that cricket <laughs> commentator. And they oh can't even call God. in. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, just try and call in. Good luck. Uh, I don't mind people I'm actually me behind my back. <laughs> yeah, 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 that's fine. Exactly. If I'm never aware. But if they're going to go on a podcast in the future and talk about how stupid you sound yeah, on this podcast. Yeah, that's true. Well, yeah. what are the odds of me listening to that? Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> so he's on the plane. He knows it's going to crash. It does crash. I'm sad to say in my favorite US state of Vermont. Oh, tragic. Nothing personal from Vermont. Home of the creamy. Home of the creamy. You aware of the no, creamy? No, what's a creamy? Oh, my. I've, we are yet to experience a creamy, but okay. people tell us it's kind of like, it's like a soft serve looking thing yeah. on, in a cone or a cup, but it's creamier. Yeah. If you can imagine oh. that. It's it's that's how like people describe it. That's it's so intriguing. I gotta tell you, the Vermont creamy, Vermont Vermontonians <laughs> have gone with the opposite of the Vonnegut style. Yeah, they've set expectations high. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This what they creamy. should be doing is saying, "It's shitter than that's a pretty, soft serve." It's a it's bit fine. creamy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> not really. I would love. There's so many awesome regional American foods that you see, and you're like, "I gotta. What the hell are you doing over there? <laughs> I want. I gotta try. We, sh- we should do a trip of. We, we should. I'm really interested to see what the um, the Juicy Lucy's like. What's that, the Juicy Lucy? It's a burger oh, yes. that's got cheese oh, inside yes. the patty. Uh, yeah, that's what they put inside. This is on Who Knew It with Matt Stewart. That's right. That's where I've learned most things. Yeah. <laughs> I just love so many. I, there's a Twitter account I follow that's just like weird regional American foods. And so many of them have names like the Filthy Plate, <laughs> <laughs> the Nasty Burger, <laughs> Dog Shit Sandwich. This will hurt your insides. Yeah, and you're like, give what is it? Like a garbage plate? You ever seen a garbage plate? No. Look up on your little machine. Look up okay. the uh, a garbage plate American cuisine. It's just like a bunch of tasty crap on a plate. Right. That's all. It, and it all looks good. It's like it's some roast chicken, some freaking corn. Why corn a garbage <laughs> plate? Well, they're doing, they're doing the Vonnegut style. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They're wow. really okay, lowering yeah. the expectations. There's a lot going on here. And then even an article comes up from Ashable called Garbage Plates, the great American dish. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've never heard of them. And it's got like, there's like, 
pasta salad they chuck on there. Like, there's really no rules for a garbage plate. Right. Um, but I would love to try one. Grits? Have you ever eaten grits? No. Oh, yes, I had them for the first time earlier in good? New Orleans. Yeah, they were. What? Because I've... A little I, bit gritty. A little bit gritty. Pretty good. Right. I think, to be honest, I'd probably prefer, like, a porridge type thing that was smoother. And, right, yeah. But, like, and it's I like a gritty porridge. Because in my head, in way, I always imagined yeah. it was, like, chicken bones yeah. cooked on a barbecue to, like, burnt bits of knuckle and stuff like that. <laughs> knuckle. <laughs> That's what grit sounds no, like. No, I, I agree, yeah. Well, like, I don't know what makes it I guess it it's gritty. gritty like, you is, know, it like a, is it like corn flour? Is that what's making it gritty? Because if you make cornbread, I like making cornbread occasionally because cornbread's delicious, and that's a bit gritty. Right. Yeah, so Grits are it, a type of porridge made from coarsely ground dried maize or hominy. Well, there you go. The latter, be, the latter being... Maize that has been treated with alkali. I actually know yeah. that. There you go. Well, They're cooked yeah. with warm, salted water or milk. Well, yeah. Let's, so let's, let's do it. Let's go to America. Let's pick out some just horrendously named, mm. disgusting but delicious looking food. Like, if, you know, they do like, um, what's a, it's, it's like a salad, but it's just like marshmallows and <laughs> sweet potato or whatever. <laughs> really? Oh, and some of that. It's a classic Thanksgiving thing. I, I think, think we're going to, let's call our trip the reverse Battle of the Bulge. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Pure Bulge. <laughs> I think that's a great pro, idea. Pro Bulge. Pro Bulge. The Pro Bulge trip. Yeah. yeah. Then that's sort of like a wordplay on Pro Bowl. Which is like with their foot, one of their football things. Oh, like, oh yeah, oh, that's oh, great. Dude, that's Battle perfect. of the Bulge. That's, like it's multi-layered. <laughs> now we just need you know one of the big food companies to sponsor to sponsor the trip. The trip. Yeah, if exactly. Listening now, please. Uh, if you're listening up. and you want to, yeah, you want some people. If to you go. want to be involved with the Pro Bulge, the Pro Bulge, yeah, <laughs> in contact. Even in this, I can't remember who it is now, but one of the characters that we're told later on opens. Like makes their fortune by opening a frozen custard business, yeah. and then he sort of goes on to describe what frozen custard is. It sounds good. It sounds awesome. Yeah, saltwater taffy. That's another American thing that I'm like, what yeah, is it? What is that? I'd sounds love to great. try it. I know what salt and water means. <laughs> I think taffy I know what taffy is. Like, is. It's like a sticky, yeah, sort of chewy candy. Candy. Cool. <laughs> cool. Saltwater taffy. It sounds. Uh, it's one of the things. Somehow, it tasting just like salt water, yeah. but in the with the texture of. And that doesn't sound lolly. great, no. but also somehow if somebody said saltwater taffy, that sounds delicious. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. It's uh, all it's about the branding, like garbage plate. That sounds appetizing. <laughs> <laughs> Makes you want it. Anyway, so Billy, he's crashed. Him and the co-pilot, the only survivors. An Austrian ski instructor is the first on the scene, and here's what he thinks will be Billy's final words, which are schlachthof it's just a lot of housewives oh, going see, through his mind. Still thinking about that. But he's taken to a hospital with a severe head injury. He doesn't die. He then travels back to... Life in Dresden is a POW. They are assigned to clean a factory that makes malt syrup enriched with vitamins and minerals for pregnant women, and they all secretly eat the syrup with spoons that are hidden all over the factory, and it gives them much-needed nutrients. Oh, it basically keeps the soldiers alive. One night, the POWs take shelter in the slaughterhouse as the air raid siren sounds. There's no bombing that night, but Billy travels through time to when he met the writer of his beloved science fiction novels, Kilgore Trout. What an honor. He just happened upon him in the street one day and he recognized him from the dust cover of his book and he goes, oh my gosh, are you Kilgore Trout? And he goes, yeah. And then Billy goes, the writer, Kilgore Trout? And he goes, there's a writer? Because his books are 
are so badly received. He's never he's never met a fan before. He assumes there must be someone else who's a writer. So he's written so many. He never met any of these fans before. And um, he's written heaps of these books. These are just some of them. It really made me think of Garth Marenghi. Oh, yeah. The Matthew Holness horror writer character who often lists his long list of books. So these are some of the trout books. Justin Slaughterhouse 5. We've got The Gutless Wonder about a robot who had bad breath who became popular after his halitosis was cured. <laughs> We've got maniacs in the fourth dimension about people whose mental diseases couldn't be treated because the causes of the diseases were all in the fourth dimension. Does that sound familiar? And three-dimensional <laughs> earthling doctors couldn't see those causes at all or even imagine them. Trout also has a book about a money tree. It had $20 bills for leaves. Its flowers were government bonds. Its fruit were diamonds. It attracted human beings who killed each other around the roots, and this made very good fertilizer. <laughs> It's a great, great idea for a novel. Yeah, I think that's pretty good. <laughs> they're, they're all like, they're so, he goes through a, a bunch of them in all his books yeah. that I've read. And they're always like, what a great idea. Yeah, like, do that, <laughs> yeah, that, do that. Yeah, that. That tree one, especially, I was like, that's really good. Yeah, I'd, I'd read that. But he, yeah, he uses them uh, to great effect for like analogies and stuff. Yeah, mm. really fun. They're like, if, yeah, you probably wouldn't understand them, but <laughs> what that what, is true. What he was saying there about that money tree, it actually has a second meaning. What could that be? Oh, I don't know. You have, to, you have to water your plants. Oh, they will die. Yeah, oh, they yeah. will die. They will die. I had heard that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, back in Dresden, the bombing of the city begins. The POWs are safe underground in the concrete slaughterhouse, but above the city is bombed beyond belief. The book refers to the fact that over 100,000 people were killed, but historians now believe it was actually more like 25,000. And when someone later, many years later, questioned Vonnegut on the numbers, he responded, does it matter? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, a lot of people fucking Yeah, die. what's a the difference? innocent people, um, you know. Actually, and should I say, they, those stories weren't analogies. I used the wrong word. Oh, okay. I'm so now <laughs> so aware that people can be the, like, You're feeling psychically okay. from the fourth yeah. dimension, the while well actually. Certain right, yeah. cricket commentators just <laughs> entered the DMs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, the next day, the US soldiers emerge at noon and find the sky black with smoke. It says everybody else in the neighborhood was dead. So it goes. Billy flashes forward to being on trail Famador in the zoo with Montana Wild Hack, who now six months pregnant with his child, asks him to tell her a story. And he recounts what Dresden looked like after the bombing. He says, it was like the moon. The only survivors are about 100 US POWs and four German guards who have to battle to get over the collapsed rubble to get out of the totaled city. Eventually they make it to a surviving inn on the outskirts of town where the Americans sleep in a barn. Do you think that was the kind of story she meant? Yeah. <laughs> Tell me a story. It was awful. I saw people burned and oh, boiled alive. Okay. Oh, well, okay. Oh, yeah. I was thinking like three little pigs. Yeah, like a fairy tale yeah. or Did something. You see, like a production of Cinderella that was so funny it made you like have a breakdown? Yeah, can you tell me about yeah, that? that? That sounded funny. Because I uh, can't imagine what could be so funny about Cinderella. Honestly, it'd be dangerous for me to try and tell that story. Yeah. <laughs> you got the morphine ready. Oh, we cut back to Billy in the hospital after surviving the plane crash and... He, we learn how his wife Valencia died, which obviously we were told at the start she will die. Hearing that Billy had been in an accident, she gunned it for the hospital but crashed her car on the way. Having no time to stop, she kept driving despite having the exhaust and mufflers fall out of the back of the car. She pulls up to the hospital. The car's making this horrendous sound. Yeah. But once she arrives, she passes out from carbon monoxide poisoning from the damaged uh. car's fumes and within an hour, she dies. So it goes. Yeah, so it goes. In the hospital, Billy is unconscious and unaware of his wife's death. He shares his hospital room with an arrogant retired Brigadier General Bertram Copeland Rumford, who's the US official 
air historian and professor at Harvard. And he's recovering from a skiing accident. He's being a real dick. And seeing the condition Billy is in, he's like, hey, that guy's not alive anymore. They should just let him die. <laughs> he's, not, he's not a great guy. And he's writing a book about the history of the US Army Air Corps in World War II. And he's having trouble with a section on the bombing of Dresden as it was kept a secret, like I said, for the American public for a long time, for years after. So there's debate as to what happened. And Billy, across the room in his hospital bed, says, I was there. <laughs> Which Rumford ignores and claims Billy is suffering from a condition where he just repeats things he's heard. He's like, like oh, whatever. He's just, he's just talking shit. He doesn't know. God, I wish I could find somebody who was there. <laughs> <laughs> I was. Yeah. Shut up. Yeah, shut up, you. You don't know what you're talking about. But later that night, no one, when no one is around, and it's been really quiet for a long time, so Billy can prove that he's not just repeating stuff. He says, I was in Dresden when it was bombed. I was a prisoner of war. <laughs> Billy then travels back to two days after the Second World War ended. In Dresden, Billy and five other American prisoners are riding around in a coffin-shaped green wagon, which they found abandoned with two horses. The others return to the slaughterhouse for souvenirs, and Billy stays on the wagon with the sun beaming down on him. And as Trail Famadoriums later told him to focus on the happy moments of his life, he recalled this one as possibly his happiest. That's nice. Because the war's over, the sun's beaming, Yeah, he's relaxing. But a German man and woman approach and berate Billy for the state of the horse, horses pulling his cart. It's only then that he notices the horses, horses' mouths are all cut up and bleeding, their hooves are broken, they're in desperate need of food and water. And realising this, Billy begins to cry for the first time during the war. He hasn't cried at anything else, but this really sets him off. And is this still a good moment for him? Yeah, yeah it seems like the moment's getting worse <laughs> yeah. as time goes by. With Trophy Mondor, he's like, I just want to focus on the two minutes before that bit. <laughs> yeah. You can just stay that there. Yeah. That was really good. Enhance. Exactly. Yeah. Enhance, Enhance that yeah. moment, please. Can we just crop either yeah. side? Yeah. <laughs> he's like, but once you've noticed the horses don't look great, it's hard to not see it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Back in the Vermont hospital, Billy recounts the end of his time in Dresden to the now very interested retired Brigadier Romsford. He's like, I'm, okay, I, I believe you were there. Uh, yeah. Tell me. It writes, the story ended this way. Billy and the doctors unharnessed the horses, but the horses, sorry, the German man and woman were doctors. I didn't say oh, that yeah, before. Sure. But the horses wouldn't go anywhere. Their feet hurt too much. And then Russians came on motorcycles and they arrested everybody but the horses. <laughs> <laughs> Two days after that, Billy was turned over to the Americans who shipped him home to a ver- on a very slow freighter. Thus the end of the war for him. Yeah. Later that night, after telling the story, Billy's daughter discharges him from the hospital in Vermont. She takes him home and says, look, I've got a a nurse that's going to look after you 24-7. But he sneaks to New York City where he hopes to get on TV and tell the world about these Tralfamadorians. Once in the city, on the way there, he gets distracted. He goes to an adult bookstore after seeing some of Kilgore Trout's books in the window. Mm -hmm. He's told by the workers there that that stuff's just window dressing and that the real stuff, the good stuff at this adult bookstore is out back. But he sees some Kilgore Trout books that he hasn't read. One of them is called The Big Board. And it says he got a few paragraphs into it and then realized that he had read it before years ago in the Veterans Hospital. It was about an earthling man and woman who were kidnapped by extraterrestrials. They were put on display in a zoo on the planet called Zircon 212. Whoa. Sound familiar? That's holy man. What are the chances? <laughs> this actually happened to him. Yeah. This actually happened to him. He's got to track him. that guy down oh, and yeah. tell him. Oh, my God. Yeah, you, you're, on the, you're on the money. Yeah. <laughs> Billy decides to buy one of the books, and whilst at the cast register, he sees a head, headline from a porn magazine that says, What really became of Montana Wild Hack? 
and they keep telling him, look, this these aren't the books we sell. This is win. <laughs> we're we're, the, we're the actually a porno them. store, yeah. buddy. <laughs> this ain't, honestly, you can get a sci-fi book <laughs> in a bookstore. <laughs> so out of politeness, he goes into the back of the shop and he sees like um, there's a viewfinder where you can watch watch porn. Mm. Like, you know, you put your... What are those things? That like you a little, I know what you mean, like a little peep show. A little peep of, show, yeah. yeah. It's like you put your eyes up to it and only you watch it. And he sees a porn movie that stars his future Trelfomodorian partner, Montana Wildhack. All of a sudden he's got a battle of the bulge. <laughs> <laughs> Billy, he doesn't get on TV that night, but he does get onto a radio program where a group of literary critics are talking about the purpose of writing novels. Thinking Billy is a critic from the Ilian Gazette, Ilium mm-hmm. Gazette, because that's what he told them he was. He has asked his opinion, but he immediately starts talking about flying saucers. <laughs> He's quietly kicked out of the studio on the next ad break. <laughs> that's awesome. What do you think about the novel? Is it dead? And he's like, sorry, I was kidnapped. They look like plungers. <laughs> the producer, whoever's brought him in, ever I'd be like, what? What are you doing? Do you not veto this guy? Oh, shit. Did you question him at all? My God. <laughs> He awakes on Trail Famador when Montana Wildhack, holding their baby, asks if he's, if he's been, been time travelling again because he sort of just comes to. And then we get to the final chapter and we hear directly from the writer Vonnegut himself again. He says, Robert Kennedy, whose summer home is eight miles from the home I live in all year round, was shot two nights ago. He died last night. So it goes. Martin Luther King was shot a month ago. He died too. So it goes. And every day my government gives me a count of corpses created by military science in Vietnam. So it goes. My father died many years ago, now of natural causes. So it goes. He was a sweet man. He was a gun nut too. He left me his guns. They rust. Vonnegut reflects on his trip back to Dresden in 1967 with his friend Bernard V. O'Hare. We then cut back to Billy Pilgrim, two days after the bombing that killed thousands across Dresden. The war's still going on. He's... Still a POW, he's designed a job to collect the bodies buried in the rubble. And there were hundreds of these bodies all over the place. And they soon start to rot. And it's decided they should be cremated with flamethrowers where they lie. It's mm. truly awful. Must have, yeah. must have looked awful, must have smelled awful, and awful. Meanwhile, working in the excavations, a moment that has been coming, the whole book finally arrives as predetermined as all the moments in the eyes of the troll Formadorians are. Edgar Derby, the leader of the men, is discovered with a teapot in his possession. They've all been sort of plundering and, and grabbing little bits, but mm. he's caught, he's arrested, court-martialed, and a, an example is made of him as he's the leader and he's executed by a firing squad of four men. The German soldiers lock Billy and the men in a stable and go to fight the approaching Russian army, and one day the Americans find that the door is unlocked and no one is left to guard them. The war is over and they are free. And then the final line is, Billy and the rest wandered out onto the shady street. The trees were leafing out. There was nothing going on out there. No traffic of any kind. There was only one vehicle, an abandoned wagon drawn by two horses. The wagon was green and coffin-shaped. Birds were talking. One bird said to Billy Pilgrim, Pooty wheat? <laughs> and that's the end. There you go. We're back with the birds saying all that can be said about a massacre. Pooty wheat? Nothing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Words can't describe it. That's great. That's there's something good about a you know people talk about spoilers where they're like don't spoil the movie for me that's spo- I don't want to know how it ends I don't know how it begins I liked it I like you having like, the you know where it's going yeah but but I don't know I think it's good I think it's a fun way to write a write a story where you've got all of the pieces beforehand yeah that's right and it, it is spoiled completely from the start because we jump around so much yeah. it's like hey these are the things we're gonna do now let me tell you in detail but out of order yeah I think that's great. 
I like if I'm reading a book, reading the last line. I like doing that before I even open oh, the book. Oh, you do that? I do that. I read the last wow. line sometimes. Has it ever ruined it, like, giving nah. it away too much? No. Nah. Because, nah. one, I forget. And two, you know, if you've not started the book, the last line will have so little meaning to yeah. you anyway. Yeah. But it's kind of something to look forward to. I don't know. Yeah. Looking forward to Pooty Wheat. <laughs> Pooty Wheat. Pooty Wheat. <laughs> but I, what noise would you, if you had to phonetically write out a bird tweet, like, all, well, let's, I don't want to put, you know, letters in your mouth, a, the noise a bird makes. Oh, uh, if I think of a bird, I think of the beautiful Australian magpie. And it sounds like, <laughs> you want to go with the kookaburra? <laughs> <laughs> the birth of, that just sounds like they're maniacally laughing at the end of the massacre. <laughs> Your magpie is pretty good. Yeah, they sort of yeah, they warble. Yeah, they, they warble. They absolutely I do. I love warble. their warble. It's beautiful. It really is. Yeah. <laughs> I like the pigeon noise where they're like. I was gobbling. <laughs> There's like you a- saying cockadoodle-doo? Because that's, that's a different bird. That's a different that's one. That's a boy chicken. No, the, um, there's like a specific pigeon noise that's like an afternoon <laughs> pigeon. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> chicken noises. That's the best bird noise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So what do you think of the book? It's great. I really like it. Yeah. I really I like his style. I think yeah, it's, it's, it's so bit, easy. Yeah, it's fun and it's, it's uh, you know, it feels smart. I know some people, you know, like there's backlash whenever something gets popular. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah. So I remember it used to be he used to be real cool, and now it's pretty lame, I think, to a lot of people. But you know, so it goes. So it goes. So it goes. <laughs> It'll happen to the best of us. Yeah. Apparently, I was reading online. I was that there, there's there's debate about the Trelfamadorians in the book. And oh, some people yeah. are like they did exist. Oh, yeah, of course. Like, well, no, yeah. When it, did it, he read the story and then he... Created the uh, event. Well, that's what I... Th- I'm reading it going, oh, clearly he's telling us. Like when his lines like, you know, that he's trying to reinvent himself in his yeah, yeah. with science fiction and stuff like, oh, things that he read about look suspiciously like the thing yeah, that he's yeah, later yeah, described yeah, in his yeah, life. For but, sure. But some people think that... I, I'm thinking that, you know, he's got PTSD. He's have, having he's a hor- just, yeah, horrific yeah. breakdown after all the, the terrible stuff that he's witnessed and seen and can't really describe in any other way. And the time travelling is, is like... Kind of the same It's just thing. him It's him going back yeah. to memories. Yeah, that's right. It's just coming back to him. But I also... I always think it's this weird thing people do when there's like a little bit of ambiguity in a story where people are like, no, but what's the truth? Yeah, yeah like, no, it's like... Actually, that's not really the way matter. to engage. In a story, like yeah, like that's what's that tell you? Like they all, I figured out what's really happening. Yeah, Yeah, that's a story is not a puzzle. Uh, Let's tie the author down to the bed and threaten (laughs) him. Tell us what you mean. Yeah, exactly. What really happened? Is it real? Yeah, and and like, what are you going to gain from being like it's not real Hmm. or it's it's only PTSD? Other than like, it makes you feel a little bit clever. Because at the end of the day, it is not real. Yeah, (laughs) either way, it's a story. Exactly, it's real. But uh, yeah, I feel like this is a guy that. And like the, the their whole philosophy of like everything happens, you yeah. Know, there's nothing you can do about it. That's comforting to someone who's been through such horrific a- stuff. Absolutely, that is like, well, this is just it's it's not, it's yeah, it just is. You exactly. know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. I'm trying to trying to yeah yeah. I think it's great. Yeah, and I think that's like it's the kind of book like most of them, I suppose, is it's whatever you want it to be. Yeah, yeah, that's right. yeah absolutely. And that's, there's a reason why he hasn't gone. This is exactly what's happened. It's because <laughs> yeah. there's uh, some work for you to do if you want to. Yeah, yeah, hundred yes. percent. You know. And at the end, of the, he said to Mary O'Hare, "Look, I, I, it, it won't be a pro-war book." Mm. And I'm reading it. And, you know, the, it's a not. lot of these poor babies that she described as they were. It does not come across as a yeah, pro-war book. Frank Sinatra or John Wayne. Yeah, they're not yeah, playing any right. of these characters. Yeah, yeah for sure. 
Yeah. yeah. But no, I absolutely loved it. I absolutely Has really, it ever really been put on the yeah, screen? Yeah, it is at all? A, a, 19... a TV show, I think they made oh. of it. They also, or... I think they made a, a film in the 70s. Okay. 1972. Who's, who's in it? Let me tell you. Imagine if it's like Frank Sinatra, <laughs> John, John, John Wayne, Wayne. <laughs> Michael Sachs. Oh, okay. Okay. So you related to Martin Sachs from Blue Hills? <laughs> <laughs> no, apparently this is his, that's his, his biggest role. But yeah, is it a TV show as well? I didn't I, realize that. I thought it was. I feel like I saw somewhere. Let me look it up. If they there, they were like, yeah, it's a um, we're doing a TV show, or well, maybe I kind of remember the the like ad for it or like the promotional material, but maybe not adaptations. What do we get? Here we go. Let's go through. Uh oh no, maybe there wasn't. Maybe I'm crazy. But there is a graphic novel. Yeah, graphic novels interesting. And a couple of live plays. And a, and a, it's been adapted for radio too. BBC. You BBC can imagine it as a play. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. A little sound effect plays every time he travels in time. Wait, no, there is a series. That's what the hell? Maybe oh, right. it never happened. Oh, it's one of those ones that was is Yeah, is Universal in- Cable Productions Slaughterhouse 5 series is now in development at Epics. I don't know what Epics is, E-P-I-X. Is that one of those like streaming services that briefly oh. existed and then fell fell away? Maybe it is. There you go. Never happened. Uh, MGM Plus, formerly known as Epics, American Premium ca- Premium Cable and Satellite Television Network. Oh, yeah. I guess it never never came around. That's there you go. So we usually give it a score out of five, as we heard it is mm. today. And also, Matt, because you've actually read this one, what would you what would you give it out, out of five? That's funny. I normally I, I like to hide behind the fact that I'm just scoring what I think <laughs> yeah, the book yeah. might be. <laughs> but uh, I, I really enjoyed it, you know, enough to read it twice. Mm. Um, but, I, yeah, I, I'm trying to think the the other books that I've read is The Breakfast of Champions and... Maybe the the monkey house one, which I think is a short story. Oh so yeah, I can't remember if I, I've got that. I can't remember if I read it. <laughs> but Kilgore Trout, uh, stuff like that. But no, I I, I really like his style, and um, I remember I used to think I wanted to be a a writer, mm. and I remember and I'd um, I'd written a few short stories at uni and stuff, and a friend of mine's like. Oh, I think based on your writing, you'd really like this guy. And I read, I read it, and I, you know, how you can be inspired, but you can be yeah. disheartened. Yeah. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I was like, oh yeah, that's kind of that's just way better than I could. Yeah. Oh yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. absolutely. Now that's a sentence. That's, yeah. okay. Oh my god, I don't know what I'm doing. I wouldn't really. have said that. Yeah. But uh, yeah, but I, I mean, I've, I've really loved it. I'm like, oh, maybe I don't need to be a writer. Someone's already <laughs> <laughs> somebody's taking care of it. There's already writers. Yeah. I, it's like it's nice when you because I, I started just kind of writing short stories just I don't know for a little creative outlet but it's you do get that but it's nice when you get the opposite where you read something and you're like that's one of the worst things I've <laughs> yeah. ever read I can write whatever yeah. I'm better than this guy yeah yeah <laughs> yeah there's definitely a scale yeah <laughs> before absolutely. getting into stand up was definitely like that with yeah. like saying some people like oh, I have no business doing this and then you'd see something like I could do that <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> absolutely but they got up there yeah <laughs> um, but no I yeah if I had to give a number I, i'd say like four and a half out of five Fantastic. have i ever given a perfect five i don't know 
Can't remember. You can get it, somebody to tally up all your scores. You know, when you like when I'm I was eighteen or nineteen or mm. whatever, and I'm like I'd write where I'd as I'd be interacting with the stories as the narrator. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, this is original <laughs> shit. And then you go, oh, people have been doing this for what? At least <laughs> yeah, yeah. twenty years, for forty years, whatever it was. When was this written? 69. 69. Yeah. Nice. Nice. Oh, nice. But then you realise that people have been doing that forever <laughs> yeah, since yeah, writing's happened. Yeah. They're like, oh, damn I'm, it. I'll never have an original <laughs> thought. I should stop thinking. <laughs> Pack it in. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> great. And Jackson, what do you think? Oh, uh, yeah, I think it was great. Uh, I, I, I often, again, like that spoiler thing, it's like, oh, I've heard the story now, but I think every story I've come on uh, Book Cheat and heard. I still, I'm like, I want to go read it myself. And this falls into that category too. So I'm going to go four, four out of five. It was great. Fantastic. And I'm going to give it a rare full marks. Whoa. Whoa. Loved it. Loved it. One of the best things I've ever seen. Was a Great. <laughs> which means it averages as 4.5. That's crazy. Which is great score. Which is huge. And obviously a, a great way to end the year mm, on yeah. a high note. Spectacular. And I'm not surprised that, you know, I enjoyed it that much. 32 people told me I would. Yeah. <laughs> well, I should <laughs> at least true. do it. So thank you very much to everyone that did suggest, suggest it. What's the lowest scoring book, if you have that at the top of your head? Uh, I remember I did Oronuku by Afra Ben, which is often seen as like the first English novel. Oh, yeah. And I had... It stunk. Naomi and Hamon, and they hated it. And I didn't love it. I think I gave it like a, th- a two and a half or a three yeah. or something. And they hated it because of that. I think the, the the score, maybe one of them gave like minus infinity or something. Like it was, <laughs> okay. yeah. 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 It's hard to get the average back up. <laughs> but even there. for me, I think that's the lowest score I've given. Yeah, crazy. One. So... There you go. Go back and check that episode. <laughs> yeah, that's a, how nice is it to listen to people hate something. Oh, it's the best. <laughs> I think we were they were they were making some good jokes about the characters, but yeah, that was good. But yeah, reading this one, real pleasure. I actually also read it twice because I was going to do it ages ago at the start of the year, and then it came to this, and I was like. I don't remember enough of it now. <laughs> yeah, so this yeah, week, yeah. it's a good it length again. for yeah. a, a reread. Yeah, yeah it's not great. super long either. So yeah, I, I really highly recommend you you check out this very famous book. <laughs> <laughs> the thumbs up. Well, that's that brings to the end of the episode. Thank you so much, uh, Matt. We can find you. Who knew it with Matt Stewart, a fantastic podcast. That's right. You were on an episode that came out yesterday and you've been on probably about 20 episodes. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Uh, carryover champ. That's right. It wasn't my best performance on, on that one. but Whether you win or lose, you're always the carryover champ. <laughs> yeah, that's right, exactly. <laughs> it's basically, a, it's, a, it's a, what is it? It's a, like a quiz, but uh, the guests write the wrong answers. Write fake answers mm. and try and guess what the right one is. And and you you learn interesting tidbits because you have different rounds. Yeah, yeah it's and, great. And uh, it's so much fun. It's a blast. And you've had... So many great guests on now, and you people should check. If I'm surprised if you haven't checked it out, if you if you haven't, do yourself a favor. Yeah, now's the time. <laughs> There's never been a better <laughs> yeah, time a better to time. try it. <laughs> Jackson's been on once or twice. Yeah, I think I've been on once or twice. I think I. I no, you've wi- been on a couple of times. You're on a live one. And yeah, that's true. Show. I was too. I think last time I was on, I wiped the floor with oh, my opponents. Yeah, you I and your opponents were, uh, were do for exam it. Oh yes, it, it was. It felt good. It felt good to get my own I, back finally. I feel like it, you weren't sure about it throughout the episode. Yeah. You felt a bit uncomfortable with I was it. Like, well, what but am I you doing? Around to it. In the end, yeah, in the end, I yeah champion beautiful and jackson we can hear you on your own podcast every single week that's true i do a bunch of podcasts i do plumbing the death star which is like a dumb pop culture comedy podcast that's incredibly hard to describe thumb cramps which is a video game review podcast which is just 
it's maniac energy all the way down the episode we did the most recently we just we were like let's list the top 50 video games of all time but we didn't really discuss what they were going to be and just basically listed video games for an hour <laughs> largely <fun>. at random um <laughs> baseless speculation which is a sort of uh, we watch a trailer and then i like what's going to happen in that movie uh as well as dnd is for nerds which is a dungeons and dragons real play podcast uh and a bunch more i'm sure Bloody yeah. love it. SandspenceRadio.com. And we do a podcast, Dave. That's right. We do Do Go On, which is our history show that we do with Jess Perkins. Been running for eight years now, and we've covered a topic from A. <laughs> We're nearly at Z. Yeah, yeah. Well, how? Z? Bloody hell. <laughs> We've done Z. Yeah. We're nearly at Z. <laughs> yeah, that's right. We are, we're doing every language as well. <laughs> what did we do? What was our last one? Our most recent episode was... What's about the poet? Yes, just recently, that, that appeals to right, to people that like this show. Uh, William McGonagall, the worst poet in history. Oh, that's awesome. Famously bad and just reads, does a few readings on the show. Very funny <laughs> that's stuff. That's very exciting. So bad it's good, honestly. <laughs> honestly, yeah. So check that out. Do go on. And if you want to support the show, you can support BookCheat, Who Knew It, and Do Go On. We're all part of a mini podcast network. We're on Patreon, patreon.com slash pod. We can get 200 bonus episodes featuring myself, Matt, and Jess talking about all sorts of different things. And uh, we've... We've got a, a th- multiple Christmas specials. If you're feeling Christmassy, Dude, that's, yeah. that's the place yeah. to get a little playlist going. Get in the spirit. you got to start doing some uh, bonus book cheats, like short story ones or yeah, something. Yeah, sure. Mm, I think I'm going to do that. And this is the last episode of the year. I'm going to take a little break now, as I as I often do over summer, to read again, <laughs> get ahead. <laughs> but I haven't locked in my you know my schedule. So if you want to suggest a book, you can do it so mm. at any time, and I'll shout you out. When I get to it, just uh, click the link in the description of this episode. All it takes is 32 of you to yeah. suggest it. Yeah, that's true. Then you get an episode <laughs> like this. Yeah. <laughs> well, another Christmas special. I hope you feel warm, festive, and jolly after that. I do. That. I do. Are you going to put in the jingle bells underneath? Yeah. The whole episode? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just to remind you. Just to remind you Quite it's Christmas, high though. in the mix, really loud. <laughs> Couldn't hear a word they said, but God, it sounded festive. I felt it really jangled. Yeah. <laughs> Away from the book. Yeah. <laughs> hey, I'll be back next year with some more episodes, but until then, I'll say thank you so much for listening. And as we always say here, books forever! Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.